thought the job was done. They thought it was all behind them. But sometimes, the past doesn't stay where it belongs. Now, Brad and Andrew must fight to protect all that they've built. The stakes have never been higher. And the beer has never been colder. This year, the epic continues. This is the Brew and View Podcast. crowded in here yeah <laughs> over to the room view podcast yeah yeah hi you, everybody you must be brad i am you're andrew i am i am and we are joined with uh untapped super fan <laughs> <laughs> first time long time yeah <laughs> uh jason welcome to the show yeah room view podcast yeah, good to welcome. be here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so, Jason, yeah, well, for people who yeah. don't know, what's your social security number? Okay, so uh, <laughs> it's uh, four nine eight <laughs> nine. Oh, you, you want date of birth and yeah, yeah, mother's, mother's maiden name, and that's that's about it. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get, we'll <laughs> get to that. We can figure the rest out. Yeah. This escalated quick. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, we, we want our listeners to get to know you. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, so yeah. I mean, you you guys are you guys are buds mm-hmm. from the Pan Hand, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I know Jason mostly through his Untapped uh, post through my drinking and, activity. Right, and but you're always all over the place. Like I see, sometimes you're in Pennsylvania. You're like. You you get around. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I I took a job last year. Um, I got a, I was in the military for eight years. That's why I was in Florida, and Andrew and I became friends down there. And uh, took a job, uh, a civilian job, last year that kind of allows me to travel around. And uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of make that part of my travel is uh, checking out local brews and kind of getting to know, trying to get to know the country on a uh, on a beer level. So. It's very interesting to kind of go from one coast to coast, mm-hmm. week to week, and kind of see the subtle differences in uh, beers. So, where's where did you find like I know there's hot spots for each like different places for beer, um, and I'm sure like you know if you go to cities and if you're traveling, you're mostly probably going to cities or bigger towns. Uh, but like where where's the place like if you had to go. You had one weekend, you had to show somebody the best beers. Which place would you go? What area would you go to? So that's, yeah, so it's kind of, it, it was kind of unexpected, but I would take somebody to Phoenix. Phoenix. Oh, really? That yeah. surprises me. Yeah, it surprised me too, but there's some very small uh, breweries there that just kind of blew me away. Uh, there's one in particular called Ren House. Uh, brewery and it's it's a kind of a it looks like if it wasn't a brewery it would just be a dive bar but uh, they have some amazing stuff and they are kind of famous for just doing one-offs and that's it so they do a beer one time um, and then they don't make it again Um, but yeah phoenix uh, really impressed me Um, so that's where i would i would take somebody cool that's interesting because like yeah i don't don't know if I've ever had like a uh, a Phoenix specific beer. No, I don't you know? think so either. Um, and like you, like when I think of the Southwest, I'm always thinking San Diego. Like you know, the I don't know if that's the home of IPA, but you know, it, it, the original of the American IPA, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, California is really good for that too. Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of. I think I kind of knew what to expect going there, so maybe that's why Phoenix kind of stuck out because it was kind of unexpected. So it's kind of cool to run into these like smaller towns that you, or regions that you you just don't think there's anything there, or and then all of a sudden you stumble across this brewery that's just knocking it out of the park. Yeah. So. Sweet. Yeah. Well, that's I think I mean I know I'm kind of biased to it, but that's why I think like Harrisburg is just like like a, such a weird little place. It's, I mean, it's a small little town. Uh, but they got there's so many breweries and like so many people it's it's like a really good beer community um and that's like you would never expect it for this area you know um I, but you were saying about um uh, uh california that would that would be a cool thing to drive up and down like pacific coast highway and just like like doing a beer crawl or, or pub crawl or something and just start like for a week and just drive up Pacific coast highway and just hit all the breweries you find. I'm sure you'd find a ton, you know, it's like going from like LA up to, or even, you know, San Diego up to, uh, San Fran or something. But anyways, yeah, you might, you might need to check yourself into a, a program. Um, just after oh. trying that out for a day because yeah. they, <laughs> I, my brother lives in San Diego and I recently, I, I got the privilege of hanging out with him for a weekend, uh, in, an, in a neighborhood called North park. And, uh, Man, I'm telling you, like I've never seen as many breweries in like a two block radius. I mean, we hit 
So North Park is kind of famous for being kind of up and coming, very hip part of, of San Diego. But I mean, they had Modern Times was there. Uh, and, and you walk across the street, there's another brewery. So we, we hit seven breweries, I think, in, in two blocks or three blocks. Wow. We just walked around his apartment and hit seven different breweries. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very saturated but, but well-catered market over there. Cool. Road trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. worth it. <sighs> yeah, that sounds pretty good. I always hear about, like, Modern Times is one of those that just always comes up whenever I read something beer-related. I'm like, uh, I have no way to get this. So, all right. Cool. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm, sounds good. <laughs> I know. That's the sad part about, uh, I mean, we're living in probably the best beer era. Yeah. But oh, also, yeah. like the best like information era, so it's like you you can easily get hyped to the point of disappointment. Yeah, like just by learning about oh wow the brewery's got awesome ratings. Where are they at? Yeah, yeah. so I'll I'll never I'll never have it. Cool. cool. Well, and also I mean, it's good and bad though with like the saturation of it, you know, because I think you may have some like like really viable breweries, and they may not hit. Because the it's the market's so saturated with it, you know, and they just they can't compete with the bigger, you know, the bigger, uh, bigger micro brews, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like this time in history, and like the day after, the, like they first made beer would be the best <laughs> days to live. <laughs> yeah. it's like what is this glorious nectar? <laughs> yeah, like the first IPA. Yes, that was just like really juicy and citrusy and hoppy and just yeah. imagine being part of that that crew yeah it'd be it'd be sweet but like yeah but it'd be like a mutiny and i'd have scurvy you know <laughs> and i have like i have a real uh you know i i don't like authority that much so i probably wouldn't even been able to drink it <laughs> i'd be in a brig <laughs> yeah you'd be making a different kind of yeah. brew yeah pruno <laughs> Interessante. The day, yeah, the day after beer was invented. What a world. Yes. <laughs> Do you think it started with it had to start with malt liquor though, right? I mean, we're not I it had to be malt liquor first, right? <laughs> and then yeah. said we have to add something to this cuz this is just this is This is almost too it. good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think the whole idea behind the uh, IPAs was like they would put hops in the ales to like as right. a preservation. Right. Yeah. And then, and, and then people just developed the palate for it. Yeah. Yeah. But like the guys making like the beer are like Bronze Age stoners, you know, like like, you know, stoners are always trying to make Check weird kind of bombs out, and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Look at these hops. <laughs> Just think of like how many people have died over the years. Like, cause like eventually you find something and you get messed up on it, right? Whatever it is, you know, chewing like different kind of plants or you know you, ferment yeah. and stuff. But how many people died just looking for a high? You know, like eating the wrong berry or you know, obviously the wrong mushroom or whatever. Yeah. Uh, all all in the, all in the name of trying to get a little messed up. Yeah. That's uh, I don't know. That's that's uh, fate's cruel hand. It's a, yes, it is. Darwinism at its finest, I guess. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of getting messed up, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's 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 get into it. All right. Uh, uh, Jason, why don't you start us off? Okay, I'm, I'd be honored to. What you sipping on? Um, so I decided since I relocated to Omaha, Nebraska, that it, I should have a, a local Omaha brew. Uh, this is I'm drinking a double dry hopped New England style IPA called uh, Fairy Nectar London. Mm. Um, it's from a brewery called Cross Strain. I hope I'm saying that right, but that's how I've been pronouncing it since I moved here. So it might be Cross Strain, Cross Strain. Um, they are out of kind of the southern area of Omaha. And my wife and I had the privilege of uh, checking out the brewery a couple weekends ago. And it's really small, um, just just big enough to do some production around the city, and then that's about it. But they... They don't have uh, much of a, a stout or porter collection, so they are mostly primarily IPAs, pale ales, um, you know, lagers, and 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 they're kind of trying to corner this this whole like juicy citrusy IPA. Um, this one I'm really digging. The, they uh, they took their flagship IPA, the Fairy Nectar, and they double dry hopped it and uh, made it real hazy, New England style. So this mm-hmm. is really good. I gave it a 4.25 on Untapped, and uh, I will be going back. <laughs> I'm a repeat customer. Sweet. That sounds really good. Yeah, when I moved from Florida, I was really upset that I was kind of moving away from Cigar City mm-hmm. uh, distribution and kind of missing out on the Highlight. Um, that was my go-to IPA, and I was like, I, I, I got to find one here. Mm-hmm. And Crow Strain's Fairy Nectar IPA has been that for me. So, um, ten dollars a six pack, uh, perfect ABV, and uh, just an all-around just awesome balance. Nice, very good. Yeah, very I, good. I would not mind if if we could get Cigar City here, but we're we're out of the distribution zone as well. Yeah, I think it's going to happen soon in our lifetime for sure. I think. <laughs> Uh, I I dream of a day where uh, you know you can you can get uh, beer from Florida in New Orleans. Yeah, <laughs> it's really just cigars. Well, actually, I I I would love a Mega Mix right now. I'm not gonna lie. Oh man, that was such a good beer. Yeah, we had a lot of good. Oh time. yeah, that yeah, was. I really I, liked I that. I sent him one. Yeah, I was kind of. I mean, just from the the look of it with the neon, it looked like. You know, it looked like Miami Vice. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. That Andrew and I kind of had, we, we had a few too many of those a couple times, I think, or at least on my 30th. Tough, tough to birthday. say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hard to say. Hard to say. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> uh, assuming like when I got home, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure the, Friend, their friends were were not thrilled with me. <laughs> like we had been drinking all day, and then we met up with some of your friends who were just like, "Let's have a nice, quiet time at a boardroom." Yeah, Here comes well, the megaphone. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, jokes on them because we were the last ones That's hanging true. out at the end of the night. So That's true, we were the wait, last maybe the jokes day. on us actually. Then yeah, I don't know. It's tough to say. <laughs> Yeah, we did kill Chuck Berry that night. 
<laughs> that is true. Our negative thoughts and prayers. Yeah. <laughs> it's all very inside. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I'm glad you found a I'm glad you found a high lie substitute. Yes, yeah. Not uh not to be imitated. Not the but, sport. Uh, not the sport, but the uh, Yeah. yeah. It'll do, pig. It'll, <laughs> It'll do. do. <laughs> uh, uh, Brad, how about you? What you have? Uh, yeah. Well, God damn it, you won up. You won up to me on my uh, photo because I've been trying to uh, to match your photos. And I didn't. I didn't mine's, mean to. mine's not too shabby, but you definitely won up me. But tonight I'm drinking from uh, Flying Dog Brewery, the Raging Bitch Belgian IPA. Mm. Um, this is a brewery that is, uh, actually pretty close to me. It's in Maryland. It's, uh, probably, um, I don't know, 30 miles away from me, 40, maybe 40 miles. Um, <clears throat> but it's a, it's weird because they, they call it a Belgian. I, I, I don't know. I'm used to like, you know, the triples and, and stuff like that, where they're very distinguishable. Like you, there's no doubt about what you're drinking this i don't know it's it's a weird flavor it's it's got a little bit of metallic key taste to it like i want to like this this brewery and this company mm-hmm. but like they all kind of taste the same way like they all have that same water that same uh-huh. hop or whatever they're using and it it just doesn't do it for me it's not a bad beer but it's not like it's not it doesn't put it over the um top for me it's uh it's a 8.3 abv and 60 ibu mm-hmm. and um it's uh, I I gave it a, a three point two five. It's, it's like I said. It's I've had it a number of times um, because like inevitably any party we have, it's a it's a it's a catchy you know catchy name. Yeah. And as a you know they ha- they have like an artist do the, the he, whoever the artist is does all their artwork. Yeah, that's um, great for all their Definitely. labels, and it's really good. Um, it's, it's a kind of, um, nightmarish style comic. Um, it's nightmarish hellscape. Can't wait to drink it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but they're all real clever. They're like all like, I, I, I want to like this beer and I want to like this company, but I just never find the right beer. That's like, I can like sink my teeth into or, you know, put my mouth around. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's kind of like we always talk about the uh, the Sam Adams or the the Abita yeah. effect. Like, it, yes. there's something about every one of their beers that has. It, it must be the water, taste. yeah. Because I know at the Abita, it's that like they use the spring water from Abita Springs. Abita Springs, yeah, and like that's their big thing. It has a perfect pH balance. Yes, uh, but yeah, I just I don't know. I want to like it, but I don't. Yeah. Uh, I've had it numerous times in like in different like hot, cold after meals, before meals, mm-hmm. you know, mid morning, you know, pre dawn. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like every scenario I can find, I I just can't find a way that I really like it. So, <clears throat> you know, try it. Uh, try it as the last beer of the night. Bet you're yeah. higher. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've already had six beers, so let me crack this one open. Yes. Yes. Well, how- that's... How much of their, how much of this beer is the name? You know what I mean? Like I know. Much... Absolutely, they market it really well. Yeah, like really well. And that's 
that's a big part of it. Like as much as like, I'd hate to admit it, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm in it for the craft and all that stuff. But like, Hey, if you're, if you're clever and you know, you can market, you know, and you can hit me with a a raging bitch, like, and you're not scared to put that on your label Mm -hmm. and you're not, you know, you don't care that you're going to offend like half the population, even though they're not really offended. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) then like I'm into you, like I'm, that's part of you know, we're going to talk about a little bit that later on in some of the movies we're going to talk about tonight but yeah um like I'm into that it just give me a better product give me something give me something yeah I, I exactly what you're saying it's um but yeah it, that can only I can't drink a label yeah uh, I mean I I can't uh begrudge anybody for doing that because that is a huge part of how you carve out that market because you have the guys like us who are just interested in drinking a good beer and then you have people who don't know yet like are maybe just getting into like just advancing past the Budweiser's and whatnot and you need something to catch their eye so can't really be mad at that but at the same time I gotta wonder how much of uh how much of their budget is tied up in this artist maybe they need yeah maybe they need to put put away a little money for hops yeah, for sure. And like yeah, style over substance. You know, and yeah. it like I can imagine like a bunch of 21-year-olds or 18-year-olds, you know, like, "Oh, we got some raging bitch." Like that's awesome. And I'm I'm into that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Rebel, do that thing, but like give me something better. Yeah. Give me something better. I but I mean, it does pack a punch. It's 8, like I said, it's 8.3. So that's it's a heavy IPA for yeah. sure. And I guess that's I mean, for a Belgian, that's what you get. Yeah. So nice all right so speaking of heavy all right yeah i'm i brought out the the big guns tonight since uh we got a guest here um <laughs> i uh i am drinking uh from this past year uh 2017 bourbon county brand stout by goose island uh nice. yeah packs a punch at 14.1 abv and uh this is uh this jason this beer reminds me of you hanging out in uh Tapworks. We're blossoming bromance. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I remember yeah. getting that, that text. Uh, hey, this dive bar has uh, Bourbon County brand on, st- on uh, Stout on tap. I'll, I'll, I'll be here for the next seven hours if you want to meet up. <laughs> but I think it was something around those lines. But, yeah, yeah. We, had a, we had a couple, and that was, uh, that was too much. Yeah, that's enough. to. It'll get you. It'll <laughs> um, get you. It is like it is like having a bourbon where like I take a sip of this yeah. and it just it warms me up a little hot under the collar. Um <clears throat> such a good beer though. I've got a yeah. I've got a 2016 aging. Nice. I had a 2015. I gave it to my best man in my wedding last October. Because it was actually bottled on the on the on the 2015 mm-hmm. date of the wedding, so it was kind of weird. Oh, so. yeah. No. There you go. Wait, what day was? Oh, the we didn't. Oh, sorry. What well, day? speaking of weddings, it's it's Valentine's Day. That's that's a you know sure. good way to uh, you know for a newlywed. That's what a great way to spend your evening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's with that's your first love beer. <laughs> yeah, I had to. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to make up for it um, this weekend. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She uh, sent the invoice. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, well. Uh, so 
So you guys, you guys found a bar that had that that kind of bourbon age or the the what do you call it the yeah the bourbon county the bur- yeah bourbon county brand. Um, like, did they know what they had, or was it something like you know how sometimes like a you'll find a a bar that has like something on tap that should yeah. be in like like a snifter glass or like a small eight ounce glass or yeah. 10 ounce glass, but they're selling it in 16 ounce Pilsner glasses. You know what I mean? And it's, you're like yeah, double down that. on it. Yeah. Right? That's like, that's the biggest win when you yeah. go to a, a bar. This has no clue. Yeah. I think they knew what they had there, but that just, um, it was interesting. Cause we lived between Tapworks and, um, salty duck. Like, they were they had really solid rotations of craft beer, but it didn't seem like an area where there was a lot of clamoring for it. Mm-hmm. So, kind of weird. But yeah, I think they knew what they had. I mean, they served it to us in a uh, like ten ounce pour. So, right, maybe maybe they're being responsible. I don't know. But if memory serves, uh, they had it. The two years that I was there, they had it both years. So, um, cool. yeah. So, I I don't think that I wish I could have lucked out and got it like for four dollars a pint, but <laughs> that was such a great place because yeah. they you could basically get something like Bourbon County Stout on tap, mm-hmm. and in the same night see like somebody vomit. Um, <laughs> Like into the ice bin of behind the bar, like yeah. it was that type of place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a little rough around the edges. Yeah, uh, it always smelled like some kind of cleaning product. Yeah, like if you if, like if you used like you know Clorox in your basement, mm-hmm. like yeah, in a, in kind of like a dank basement. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's what it's this like, bar always smelled like. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like moist. Cleaning, like it, the cleaning products, like barely covered up the taste of sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, speaking of that, I don't like. I told you, Andrew. I I uh, I worked as a bartender for probably five years, mm-hmm. um, in a, a college town where I went to college, and um, for the first like two or three years, we had quarter draft nights, mm-hmm. and quarter draft nights in a college town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was only for an hour, but it was it, it was so gross. Yeah, I bet everyone took full advantage of that. Hour. Oh no, like it was disgusting, and there was no limits. There was no like, yeah, you know, only two two beers per. No, it was like someone throw a ten down, and you'd be sitting there pouring for about an hour. Well, you know, yeah, and that's uh, and, and when you're at that age, like you just have no like semblance of control either. So it's like. Right. If I had a wristband deal, I'm like, I got to get my money's worth. And like, if it's a $20 wristband, like four beers, <laughs> you got yeah. your money's worth. That fifth one is like paying for itself. You don't yeah. need to have 10 as quickly as you can. Yeah. And, and the thing was, it was like our happy hour special. So it was Friday nights and people would just roll in. Right. And then as soon as the happy hour was over, gone. And the place, like, it was like... It was like the Tasmanian Devil came mm-hmm. through, came through and just wrecked everything. And then picturing like an empty pint glass, like spinning it, before it's yeah, just like <laughs> spinning and like and then like three three people like randomly laid out like just because they just just too much. 
but that was the pregame for everybody. And then they go to the other bars and then we were the dance club at night then too. So everyone come back at like, you know, 12 or 1130 and then it would pick back up. Patton and but, I would have loved your bar. Yeah. Was there a pool <laughs> table? Yeah. Yes, there's two. Oh my two God. Tables. Yeah. I don't think I ever told you this. I know I, I, um, I proposed to my wife on the dance floor of that bar. Mm. Yeah. In what Speaking state? Of, uh, <laughs> uh, confusion. <laughs> uh, a little bit of, uh, yeah. No, uh, was it yeah, she, draft well, she said yes. So she was all obviously altered. Wouldn't it be funny if we got married? Mm. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so between uh, the Raging Bitch and me podcasting and talking about proposing to my wife on Valentine's Day mm-hmm. in a bar. Here we go. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah. So a couple good beers. Uh, yeah. And uh, you can follow us on Untap, Brew and View Pod. Uh, Jason, would you like to plug your untapped? You'll get probably just flooded with, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> flooded with yeah. friends, but feel free. For sure. Uh, yeah. So if you want to follow me, it's, uh, <laughs> it's J underscore Dizzle. Mm-hmm. That's a J A Y underscore Dizzle. For sure. Um, Comments. I, I made the handle after a few beers. Uh, but I'll be traveling around this year again, um, you know, checking out some different corners of the country and, uh, hopefully providing some, uh, some good feedback and recommendations. So hit me up. Yeah. Yours, yeah. yours is always a good one. My, my personal one is just like, Oh, he's at NOLA again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, every time I see that, like, that's what I love about untapped is like, you, you get on it. I, I have no expectations when I get on this and, yeah. and, I just like to see my fr- like. Okay, my friends are having a brew. You know, their their day is done, uh-huh. or in Andrew's case, it maybe just began, <laughs> and uh, he's at Mardi Gras. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I know it's just that's kind of the it, it does have kind of a a social feel to it because yeah. then you're like, ooh, let me grab my my beer for the night and check that in, and mm-hmm. I I get jealous. I get like pissed off. <laughs> like this guy's had six beers already. It's yeah. like four o'clock in the afternoon i'm like don't you guys fucking work and then i still have to work for another hour (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, or somebody's at a brewery checking in every single like sample that they're getting and you're like come on (laughs) just just pick one yep i'm I'm guilty i'm guilty (laughs) now that it has the uh the taster thing i i feel i feel like i'm being more honest because you can tag like are you having a pint a bottle a draft and like taster like okay i'll, I'll let everybody know <laughs> i always put you know, crowler. <laughs> you know <laughs> those since are my I'm tasters on this public platform though right now i feel like i gotta take advantage of it i gotta come yeah. clean with something about untapped mm-hmm. listen up but like try we gotta get away from the 3.5 rating right like we're we're all hovering around it everyone <laughs> right. i know we're all checking in a beer that average 3.5 and it's making it really hard to find out like what what's good what's not mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to kind of see what beers are really standing out um i i get the fact that probably nobody's ordering a beer that they won't 
think that they'll like. So mm-hmm. it's probably in that higher range. But yeah, it's a, not, it's, a, it's a good point. It's like if I really don't like this raging bitch, I shouldn't have given it a three five. And we've talked or or we've talked about it before is like, you know, don't be so precious with your fives, but you should be more judicious with your ones, right? Because I don't I don't know how many like I've probably given cores like Bud Light, you know, ones, hmm. but other than that, like there isn't a whole like, I don't know. It's but here's the other thing is like I'm not drinking a whole lot of beer that I know I'm not gonna like. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of it. But I, I think it's hard, like the way they set up the scoring on here, it, it kind of makes it look like 2.5 is a bad score, you know, because mm-hmm. you have these like two and a half other bottle caps on the right hand side that, that aren't filled up. So it makes it kind of look like you don't like it. But in reality, that's that's the middle that's of the a, road. Yeah, that's a good middle. middle well, if, you, road here. if you aggregate it out, like with our the way we score our movies, like that would be a seven. Which is like a very good movie, yeah. right? Yeah, that's what we consider um, consider the middle of the road. There, like this is yeah. this is a good movie. Below a seven is not. Mm-hmm. It's just how yeah. far can you fall? Yeah, yeah right. So, so. That, it's a good point. It definitely is a good point because, like, especially like when you were using Untapped for what it's like actually for. I mean. It, I, Obviously, it's like yeah. a social thing and like you know collect your badges and stuff. But it's also try to find like good beers. Like, right. what's this rating at and stuff? And oh yeah, yeah. You have a I, bunch of three fives. I almost don't like if like moving to a new place like like we just did. Every store I go into to look at beer, I I pull up Untapped and I I check the check the ratings. If it's over, you know, a certain it's got a high number of ratings. A lot of people rated it, and it's a, creeping up over a four. That's usually a pretty good indicator, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great app. Um, I just I challenge I challenge everybody. Let's be a little bit more subjective. You hear that? Mm-hmm. Untapped. <laughs> yeah. You've been challenged, and That's that means you, Tyler from Wisconsin, who had a whip whip stout. He gave it a four, so okay. He, Tyler met our challenge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that he didn't know about yet. <laughs> 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 uh dave kyle he gave it a 3.75 so he's he's yeah. come, and that's from flying dog he uh numero uno uga, numero uno agave cerveza from flying dog brewery which i just talked about he gave it 375 okay. uh your boy josh gave uh houston hayes a four sounds good nice so, uh, and the Mr. Orange Peel, oh, he found one he really likes, a Mexicake Bourbon Barrel. So he's getting a little, uh, he's getting a little adventurous with the naming yeah, beers. Yeah. From Tempest Brewing Company. Uh, yeah, 475. Holy that. crap, that's got a kick, he says. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, get on it and get with us on Untapped. Yeah, and yeah. maybe someday. You can be just like Jason and come on the podcast. With <laughs> yes. <laughs> All your wildest podcast dreams made. Yeah. Them yeah. <laughs> your insane fantasies <laughs> that you could make it in this world. <laughs> we'll give you the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I don't really have anything else on the beer front. Uh, yeah, we, we, we touched on a pretty yeah, we hit it, good now. Hit it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, <clears throat> I assigned you, Brad, a movie last week. Yeah. 
Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yes, a futile and stupid gesture. Um, streaming right now on Netflix. From is it from 2018? Uh, I think that's. When Let me it check. I'm looking it up. I think it just came out like a week or two ago. But... Yep. Yep, I feel like I just started seeing trailers. Yeah. yeah, so officially, I think my first 2018 movie. So here we go. Um, <clears throat> starring uh, Will Forte. Uh, well, I why even? I'm not even going th- through all the like. Yeah, pretty much any character you can imagine in comedy is in it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a story of the National Lampoon or the the. You know, I don't. How much do you guys know of National Lampoon? Like, I know you've heard the name from like whether Vacation or Van Wilder or Animal House or you know all those things. Like, how how much does that resonate with you guys? Because like I, for me, I was I was kind of I was kind of. Um, uh, through osmosis or just through people talking. Cause like my dad's generation maybe was more into it than I was, but I kind of was introduced through them. Mm-hmm. But like, how do you, do you guys know the name or how? Yeah. I, I mean, I recognize the, um, like the, the, uh, the cover that they use as the promotional right. art. Like I recognize the, if you don't buy this magazine, we'll shoot the dog. Right. Um, and I was kind of, uh, I, I'm aware that it existed. I'm aware. I was aware before watching this that it existed. I was aware that it morphed from the Harvard Lampoon, and I was aware that Doug Kenny killed himself. So, yeah. Um, but it, but like, you... I've never seen an actual physical like National Lampoon. Like, I never flipped through one or anything. Like, right. I, I recognize the kind of, like, touchstone stuff that they had. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I actually didn't know as much about National Lampoon until today. Uh, I, I knew about the Chevy Chase vacation movies growing up because we, we watched Christmas Vacation, like, every Christmas. Um, that sort of thing. But... <laughs> When it, <laughs> you triggered you know, Brad. Animal House and all that, but I, yeah, I had no idea it started from magazines and mm-hmm. kind of that small scale. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't know much about it. Well, okay, so well, it was directed by David Wayne, um, who did when Wet Hot American Summer, um, Role Models, um, and, you know, just at not. Uh, you know, he's kind of whoever it doesn't matter. Um, so basically it, this is like, this is like mad. It was like mad magazine for adults, right? Mm-hmm. Where it was very subversive. It was very liberal. It was very, um, but it also, it, 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 there was no, nobody was safe. It was like the kind of humor that I aspire to love where it's like humor for at, that has something to say, you know, not. Yeah. It's kind of uh, like, but, but Oh, sorry. Kind of like proto-punk type. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um. But but also, it 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 runs the risk of being too self-aware and too um, self-aggrandizing. Yeah. Um. Uh, but at at its core, I think it was like 
it wasn't a stupid and futile gesture. It was like the it, what the country needed at the time because it it did not shy away from poking uh, fun at any all the establishments and all that stuff, even at themselves. Mm-hmm. But this is the story of um, uh, <coughs> sorry. Um, uh, let me get. I'm trying to think of the other guy's name. Uh, so it's Doug Kenny and uh, Henry Beard, right? Mm-hmm. Who are um, guys who went to Harvard. Um, you know, Harvard is like uh, not notoriously, but like known for its comedy writers. You know, all the Simpson writers are from you know Harvard, or you know, there's like it's no- not yeah, not notoriously, but like known for its comedy writing. Um, highbrow comedy, I would say. Yeah. At some points, but then it devolves into lowbrow by being so highbrow, or you know, however that works. Uh, but this is like, um, I don't even know how to explain this movie. It's, um, it's a, it's almost like the style of the National Lampoon kind of. They tried to incorporate that style into this movie, where as they're breaking fourth walls mm-hmm. all the time, they're they're not following any type of um, real uh, biopic uh, structure. Right. Um, they reference, you know, at one point they're saying like. Um, they're introducing all of the characters that you know, like uh, Bill Murray, uh, Dan Aykroyd, um, Harold Ramis, um, Jim Belushi, and or John Belushi, sorry. And they're like the the narrator, which is another part of this, mm-hmm. um, is saying these people don't really look like them, but it doesn't matter. Hmm. Yeah, like they're very like. Um, Un, un, like un. I don't. It, it it feels like it was trying to embrace the National Lampoon's style of writing okay. in a movie form, rather than like the Caddyshack or the uh, Animal House. This is like fourth wall break. It's just it's breaking down the norms of movie making. But uh, so it's a comedy. But it's also biopic and it's also sad and like telling at times. It felt like boogie nights at times. It felt like um, it felt like Goodfellas at times <laughs> uh, uh, with soundtracks. Um, it I don't know. It, it, this is a weird movie and it, like it's hard to wrap my mind around. It, but like you know, I've been thinking about this movie a lot since I watched it and I watched it Friday night. I think. Um. And I think I really like it. Okay, that I mean that's good. Like if you're still, if you're still kind of, I feel like if you're still forming an opinion on a movie, x amount of days later, uh, that at least says that there's something of value. That like you're trying to figure not not that you're trying to wrap your head around the movie, but you're still, I guess, digesting it. Yeah, it made an impact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to I'm trying to figure I'm trying to think if it was too clever for itself or if it did it right, you know, because like. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, There's there's I could see a lot of people just hating it just for the self-referential part of it. Yeah. And 
Uh, I, I've blathered on long enough. What do you guys think? I liked it. Um, I I wouldn't say that I was like completely taken with it. And um, I do think it's uh, definitely worth emphasizing that there is a lot of uh, sad and, and kind of low moments in this movie. Um, because uh, so I think it does a good job of, of that kind of not not shying away from the the ugliness in his life. Um, but uh, I give it a seven. Like, I think it's something that like. I don't know who I'd recommend this to, like, especially having assigned it to you. That's pretty much it. Maybe Matt, because he's into comedy. But um, I I feel like it was it was well done, but it wasn't the type of thing where it's like, oh, everybody's going to love this. And even if you aren't familiar with National Lampoon, at least it's just a really well-made movie. So I don't know. I, I, I liked it, but... Um, uh, I'm definitely not. I don't think I'm. Re- it didn't really stick with me. It sounds like the way it stuck with you. Well, it. I, I actually. I honestly think. And and because there's a documentary called Drunk Stone's Brilliant Dead that tells pretty much the same story, mm-hmm. only in documentary form. Yeah. Um. It, which is like I watched a futile and stupid gesture like this too many words in these two movies but yeah, um right. <laughs> i watched the the yeah that first and then i watched the documentary which is a really good companion piece to it because they like for movie sake and they even like during the documentary or during the movie they're like saying there's so much we got to talk about but and this is some of the stuff that happened but we're not even going to talk about that yeah they do a little bit more in the in the documentary which I thought was a really good companion piece to it. Um, I, I really think that where humor went from the 1960s to like the 1980s and beyond, like this was a very big bridge yeah. that crossed that gap. And like it went into subversive comedy that like made like, you know, we went from Bob Hope to Sam Kennison. Mm-hmm. In that that in that time, and I think that that this was a very important part of that, and I don't think a whole lot of people know about it. And I think it's a important movie for that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I agree with that. I just um, I just guess I don't at this point, you know, being kind of unplugged from like the Chicago scene, I don't know a lot of people who are really into comedy like that that would actually care about bridging that gap, or maybe I've just. Maybe I know those people. I just uh, don't know that they're into comedy like that. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think Would for for me, it, it kind of highlighted why, like how college humor kind of came into its to being. You know, like all of a sudden it was okay for to have these like adult, like crude jokes, mm-hmm. and it was kind of out in the public, and everybody was was kind of okay with it. So it was kind of cool to see how that progressed. Um, Awesome cast. I mean, yeah, if you just like great. funny people in general, um, and 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 modern day comedians, it, 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 I think it would it would fulfill a lot of uh, a lot for somebody that just likes watching those types of movies. Will Forte is just funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed some chops too in this. Yeah, like, yeah. like I'm not used to him doing that. 
uh, maybe you've never seen MacGruber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, to talk about a sublime performance. I have. I have. <laughs> Oscar performance right there. Um, yeah, but another thing, like Andrew was saying, like it, it kind of it it, it it highlights that sort of dark past that a lot of comics have, or like a lot of like good comics in, from that time, or even you know modern day, like they have this kind of like they're struggling with some kind of like yeah, demon like, or, or or some sort of like you know depression or, or hardship that we don't really see a whole lot of. So anytime yeah. that um, that story gets told, it's kind of it it. It brings a lot of validity to uh, what you've been seeing all these years, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. which may be why it's stuck with you over the course of the weekend. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. A, a coping mechanism for a lot of people. So, well, yeah, I mean, like they always say, like, like comedy comes from a dark place sometimes, and it, and for sure, this, this, this was uh, a way to. I mean, it started out with a funeral, right? Right. And, yeah. Um, uh, I. I, th- yeah, it's, I don't know. It, I think it was a, pr- I gave it a seven too. And it, cause mm. just because, um, I, there's like, I, there's not a whole lot of rewatchability in this. Like I'm, I, I really liked it. Mm. Um, it, because I did find holes in it, but I thought the overall message and the way, they told the story was it was just it was really impressive the way they store they tried to tell the story because like a lot of times you get into these biopics and sometimes you don't give a shit about certain characters and and maybe even this movie you don't give a shit about certain characters but they 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 like they tried to include everyone um and took liberty but like they also tried to cut the fat and like this isn't like this isn't really that important but they were involved or you know like they they did that whole thing where they ran down a whole like list of shit that you know yeah they get, you know and like i'd like to like pause it and try to watch it and see what they were actually talking about and stuff but yeah um and it's, how good was hmm? oh sorry uh it's just it's parts like that and parts where uh it um where like the the uh older uh will forte's older character like that were those kind of asides and like, Oh, I'm a plot device that are, that were just, mm-hmm. you run that risk of like being, you know, getting a little too cute, I guess, or like too self-referential, yeah. but I, you know, uh, I, I felt it worked you, within the context of the movie. Yeah. And, but once you go down that path, like if you're going to be a little bit, do you want to go all the way or does a little bit say a lot, you know, like how, yeah. where do you find that middle ground? Yeah. I think maybe if you do it just once, it's one of those things where it's like, if it doesn't land, that's going to be the thing that they talk about, like derailing the whole thing. Right. Like, well, kind of like in Goodfellas, the end of Goodfellas, we were talking about that off air a little yeah. bit, right? Yeah. You do that uh, breaking the fourth wall thing. And, you know, that's it's just a total departure from what the whole rest of the movie was. Right. But it's also a good storytelling device. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Well, I'm sorry uh, before I interrupted you. Go ahead. But how good was Dom Dom Hall Gleason? <laughs> he like, like I, I, I felt like it was him. Yeah. I felt like like yeah, that's that is that person. That is Harry Beard for sure. <laughs> like he just like and I feel like a lot of I don't know, like maybe we've all come across that guy who just is like so dry and like 
mm-hmm. um, is, uh, I don't know. He's just, his like one liners were just so like, they weren't necessarily funny, but his, del- his delivery was so spot on that it was humorous. But yeah, like just that guy who's like, Oh, you can tell he's really smart. Like, and just from like watching Dom Hall's performance, you're like, okay, I kind of get who this guy is mm-hmm. without having I'm to bog it down with a bunch of exposition. Yeah. He kind of reminded, I think most people of like, if, of like a friend they had at, at one point or, or like a friend from college or somebody they knew at one point mm-hmm. played that pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. They, it made me want to take up pipe smoking too. <laughs> yes, it did. For sure. <laughs> I was like, uh, man, it makes it look good. Yeah. That's how I felt about the uh, cocaine. Mm. <laughs> Jesus, man, that looks like, good. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready, I'm ready to go on back, back to the old. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Bad, bad drug, bad drug. Yes, that, uh, that's what reminded me a little bit of like, bad chicken. <laughs> Mess you up. Yeah. No, the the pipe smoking. I don't. Uh, I don't know. It seems like a lot of work. Have you had a, a good pipe, like no, tobacco? Not, no, I've setup? never never had a tobacco pipe. No. Yeah, yeah. If you, uh, yeah. So if you enjoy cigars, you'll enjoy a, a pipe. It's super smooth, okay. and the flavor is just like, I don't know. It's it's yeah. it's. I I think it's like. But then you gotta. I mean, but then you're. You can have a cigar. <laughs> you can have a cigar and be mm-hmm. like and have an identity. But as soon as you get a pipe, you're a pipe guy. You got a you got an ascot. You're a pipe guy. Yeah. Like there's no and you can only smoke it once, but whoever sees you, like they you're you'll always you're be pipe guy yeah. forever. Yeah. You're the hipster pipe guy with the beard and the long hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> worth it. You're the guy Might who, be worth it. Who drinks high life and smokes pipes? Yeah, I like it. Just try it. Um, yeah, if I if I have an opportunity, I, I'll maybe I'll give a pipe a try. <laughs> Over in the cover of darkness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely don't want to reveal yourself. Yeah, my uh, so my dad's a cigar guy, and actually my mom uh, she t- she tried to make him a pipe guy. She was like just. Cigars are so gross. Just smoke a pipe, which I, I don't, I don't know if she really thought that through. If she... Is that what she really meant, or was she no. like, smoke a pipe? Uh, <laughs> 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 no, she like she like bought him a setup of like a pipe and some tobacco, and it was like, I don't know what she was thinking. She's she's pretty uh, she's pretty straight laced lady. I don't know if she realized like that tobacco is tobacco is tobacco. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, cigarettes and cigars, yeah, there's there's a bit of a difference there. Um, but cigars and pipes, I mean, it's just tobacco leaves, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I I will say the delivery makes a difference though. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> I, can't, 
again, I this is a topic I shouldn't even be involved with talking about because I have very little experience. But from from what I've dabbled in with pipe smoking, mm-hmm. it's super smooth. Very like a lot a lot more flavor. Like you can get some vanilla. Okay. You can, you can like order vanilla, you know, or strawberry. Yeah, I mean it, they got all kinds of flavored stuff for sure. Um, but how weird is that? Like when you think of a pipe cleaner, like yeah. that's the last thing you think that thing is for. Yeah. Right. You're <laughs> yeah. thinking of building like little stick men. Yeah. In houses. Yeah. It's not for cleaning tobacco products. No. No. <laughs> or you think is drug paraphernalia nowadays? Like, uh, right? Yeah. If it's found like in your vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you have nothing else in your vehicle but a I'm pipe a, cleaner, you're going to jail. I'm a second grade teacher. Yeah, yeah. Save it for the judge. <laughs> yeah, you, you, that's 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 five that's five to seven years mm-hmm. just yeah. pipe cleaner possession. Yeah, paraphernalia. Yeah, that's how they get you. <laughs> You gotta get their cleaner. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that there's a special tool for that. Yeah. Too. Like when you think about it, like. Eh, I mean, I get it, but yeah, Brad, like you're saying, it's so weird because it is like the last thing I think about with a pipe cleaner, despite its name, is for cleaning pipes. That's it. It reminds me of one of my other favorite jokes. Like, and it's such a stupid joke, but like, why is it called a roach clip? Mm hmm. Because potholder was taken. <laughs> oh wow, that no. That's, that's <laughs> Is that gold. a joke that's or a gold. life lesson? <laughs> <That's>, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's gold, gold, Jerry, gold. Uh, oh my goodness! All right, I'm gonna um, tell that tomorrow at work. <laughs> hey, why do they call it a roach clip? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's the deal with pipe cleaners? I don't get it. <laughs> Am I right, people? Uh, mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, any any final thoughts on uh, Futile and Stupid Gesture? Or? If if you do like it and want to learn more about it, watch Drunk Stone, Brilliant Dead. It's streaming mm-hmm. on a- or Netflix as well. It's a good companion piece to it. Like I said before, um, it's just an interesting time, and it, it's something actually uh, like we love like. People get into comedy so much and stuff. I'm like, this is like a like a uh, a bre- This was like a breeding ground for like a lot of the comedy that is still going on today. Whether oh, it's yeah. like it, you know whoever it is that came out of. I mean, it was uh, Saturday Night Live. The whole like original cast was the, yeah. the crew that was here. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it is a. It, it's like one of those things. It's kind of a forgotten thing, you know. Yeah. People say it, and you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, National Lampoon's." Yeah. But like, how much do you really know about it? So it's if you're into that, check out this movie, and then trunk, check out the uh, documentary as well. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm definitely. I'll I'll probably watch that this week. The uh, Drunk Stone Brilliant Dead. Um, I am going to cut off my video feed because my battery is slowly or quickly dying. Mm, okay. So, bye. Okay, bye. Uh, all right. So you, um, well, there's a bit of, uh, of confusion this week. Um, no. I think we thought we were, I, th- I think we thought we signed ourselves up for a different movie. Um, yeah. but, uh, I watched Godzilla planet of the monsters. Um, it is a, 
I mean, it's a feature. It's feature length. Well, I guess it's technically not. It's an hour and twenty nine minutes. Sorry. Um, so it's it's just about feature length, and uh, so it's. But they say it's part one of a series, but it's the only one available on Netflix, and I've not really known Netflix to do that before. Um, but it is an anime style Godzilla story. Um, it takes place far in the future. Um, humans have, uh, fled from earth because Godzilla has taken over and, uh, with the help of some, (laughs) 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 with, with the help of some, uh, alien humanoid race, uh, they decide to go back to find a, uh, a whole world now filled with monsters and uh i'm sorry dude it's okay sorry. it's okay it's okay i'm not i i uh i thought the same thing um if so uh what i took away from this the the plot is first off i don't know what story they're getting at here but they definitely could tell it in an hour and 29 minutes there's so <laughs> so much dialogue and so much exposition um and so much build up i think like the last half hour is when they actually finally make it to earth and start seeing the actual this this planet of monsters um but i was telling you guys beforehand i'm not not an anime guy um this definitely did not uh did not steer me in that direction, but it was interesting. And like, um, if nothing else, I did appreciate, I get to, uh, enjoy the artwork, not so much the, um, character models, but the way that they draw or render these backgrounds, um, is really cool and really something, uh, I mean, it's not really going to sustain you for the whole hour and 29 minutes, but it's really, um, something as someone who's not really familiar with it, like I enjoyed and appreciated the, the artwork that, um, was made for this movie. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know where, like, it doesn't look like a Saturday morning cartoon, but I don't know how, um, advanced, uh, anime shows or movies get. Um, but this was pretty nice to look at. Um, and in uh, the string of sci-fi hits and misses that we seem to be talking about every week uh, now, uh, this was definitely, I put it in the miss column, not so much because it was an anime and wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but just because I, I'll be honest, um, whenever part two of this comes out, I'll probably watch it for completion's sake. I'm curious at this point if they could have condensed it into an hour and a half. Um, and, uh, by the time when, when we finally see Godzilla, I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. And (laughs) then, then, then it ended. (laughs) (laughs) There's like eight minutes of credits. (laughs) And then there was like a post credit scene that I think was supposed to have some sort of big reveal, but I was like, who is that? (laughs) So, uh, it, it maybe, uh, went went over my head at a couple parts I, w- I wasn't ready for this but i for visuals um 
I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not really familiar with this art style, but I, I gave it a six. Like, um, by the time the action ramped up, I was, I was pretty interested in it. Um, I thought it looked really beautiful. Uh, the voice acting is terrible. Um, I had, uh, the English voice, uh, the English, um, language on. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, it was I switched it over to Japanese and the uh, subtitles because the voice acting was the the main character was really bad. Like he would like put a breath on the end of each word or like <laughs> at the end of each phrase. Kind of like the, like, like they joke about Metallica. Yeah, like James Hetfield. Yeah, yeah. But it it, it, it was like everything was like ah, Godzilla. Godzilla. And so I was like, I can't with this. Um, so, yeah, I got pretty official with it. I speak Japanese now. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is your Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. It's... <laughs> um, well, you know what? Well, I, uh, I, I watched it this morning while I was drinking plenty of fluids, recovering from Mardi Gras, and uh, I didn't have a bad time. So, uh, So the... The one I wanted to assign you is is called like on IMDb is titled Shin Godzilla. Yes. Okay. That's the other part is I thought I knew that it was something else, so I'm just like, oh well, you know, uh, that mu- just must be the translation in Japanese. Yes. <laughs> Shin Godzilla must actually mean Godzilla, Planet of Monsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Shin means in Japanese. Yeah. I figure they probably have so many Planet of Monsters scenarios <laughs> that they just have a word for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it definitely didn't lead to uh, maybe a more fruitful discussion, but you could do a lot worse. So. Hmm. It's, you know, it it's hard to write off anything now on Netflix, though. I mean... Even something like this with with an anime series, mm-hmm. it's it's like they've upped their game 110 percent in the last year. I feel like so it's almost like you see it on Netflix. You're kind of like, okay, does that have some potential here? Yeah. Is it? Can it be? <laughs> yeah, but like I could think there of an is some great stuff rule. there, but there is like you just <laughs> there is some major misses. Yeah, Cloverfield Paradox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, did you, uh, Jason, see uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane by chance? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So all three interconnected? Is this? Uh, so I guess. Have you seen Cloverfield, Cloverfield Lane was coming out? I was telling everybody. I was like, oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a follow up, everybody. Like, I was like, I was telling everybody, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a follow up. It takes place in the same like, yeah. universe. Yeah. Okay. Or does it? Well, uh, <laughs> it, it's the <laughs> same universe, but is it the same dimension? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but they know. Yeah, because I was like, who's going to call a movie Cloverfield anything after there was already the monster movie, mm-hmm. right? That would... Right. Like the initial one, like the point of view. Yeah. I like one. that movie. I like that movie. Um, I need to watch it again to see how much I like it. Like if I still actually like it. But the first time I watched it, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah. I kind of felt the same way. Mm-hmm. And I loved uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane was uh, one yeah. of my favorites that, that, was that year. Top five of that that year. Definitely. Right? Definitely. For me. Um, but we've we've 
kind of exhausted the Cloverfield paradox last week. So yeah. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole again. Although I keep yeah. I keep forcing yeah, it on you, myself. You were on it on videos. Twitter. You're just yeah. <laughs> you want well yeah. I, that, it, like, no, you like you're you're hitting all the. It's if you like it, that's fine. But if you're gonna apologize for it and say like, oh, this is just this was slapped together and they made you know they did a good job with what they had to work with. No, no this was meticulously no planned. This was meticulously planned, and it was a failure. <laughs> and that's fine if you like it. Like I, uh, what did I bring up MacGruber earlier. You, it doesn't sound, Brad doesn't sound like you like MacGruber, and that's okay. Hmm. That doesn't you know because I like it doesn't make it a masterpiece. And because you don't like it, doesn't mean it's not. Mm. No, it's okay. If you like the Cloverfield Paradox, that's fine. But don't try and, um, like, justify, like, why it wasn't very good. Like, if you're justifying why it wasn't very good, do you really like it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I found a really good video, but Brad's referencing. I found a, I found a video that um, talked about, like, the, the interconnectivity of the uh, Cloverfield universe and um did a good job of breaking down the viral marketing and all that stuff and uh i shared it on twitter and i was like for you know for everyone who's who's swearing that the cloverfield paradox was just it was a different movie that they you know slapped a a little bit of a paint job on and did some reshoots and we got what we got right mm -mm. false Mm. (sighs) anyways (laughs) Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, is streaming on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, Jason, I agree with what you're saying, though. And um, I was actually having this discussion with uh, Molly. Um, but, like, I Netflix does not equate direct to DVD. Like, Netflix is trying to yeah. compete with... Um, like the, the, the yeah the major production feature houses. film yeah. yeah yeah so but like I said last week like it it's it's gonna be hit and miss because yeah absolutely like a, a like a startup I mean we wouldn't call this a startup but like you know any any production company or anything like that like they have to start somewhere and they're gonna have hit and misses they're not gonna no, be absolutely. all and and you know you look at look at uh, Universal what they're doing right now like look at the Mummy. You know, that was a major disaster, a major disaster, mm-hmm. you know, because they had something planned out for years and years and years well, based off this yeah. one movie. And it took a shit. And like if if Netflix does something similar to that, I mean, it there no one's infallible whenever it comes to. No, you're right. What you're right. I agree. Um, yeah. I mean, that's just that's a perfect example of like make a good movie before you don't. Don't uh, get ahead of yourself. Don't, yeah. Don't fly when you can't walk. <laughs> I feel like it, it's close though. Like they're oh yeah, they're they're encroaching into that. I mean, I've never been so satisfied with like no cable and and basically oh, yeah. just streaming off Netflix like for yeah. every everything. Like I don't, yeah. I don't watch anything else now. It's crazy. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like maybe we're going to see, like, something big out of this, like, in the next five to ten years. Yeah, the, there's there will still be a market for, like, you know, theater feature films. But, uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, the way that they're approaching this, doing these big name, like, kind of, like, big budget type films. Yeah. 
and how they're attracting like major talent to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's gonna it's gonna continue to to grow, and it's gonna be really interesting. Like next like few years, see what it. Well, it kind I mean, of and they have they have one thing that the studios don't have is they have a like a constant stream of revenue. They have that that subscriber base. Now they don't get the box office hit that the other ones do, but they also get, they do get advertising. They do get a lot of stuff. You know, I'm sure they have a model that's not like just, Hey, we're just going to lose money on every, every right. thing we do. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> well, but, I mean, what's, what's they, great they, about, sorry. Um, what's great about something like, like bright, a movie that had major hype going into it and really kind of, just fell flat on its face. I can't imagine someone hitting unsubscribe because they didn't like that. Now they yeah. might've subscribed <laughs> yeah. like bright might've brought them in. Um, but once they're in there and they see all these options they have, like I don't think that one movie is going to steer them away. I right. was thinking about that movie today. Actually, I, I saw it at the back of a magazine and it had an advertisement for bright, and I haven't seen it yet, but I, I, it's on my list, and I don't know if I'm going to watch it now because it said at the top of like the advertisement from the directors of uh, what was it, like End of Training Watch and, and something else, yeah, End of Watch and Training Day. Well, and that is almost like a tell to me when when they kind of advertise a movie like, like who that. Brought to you. It's like, yeah. Unless it's Scorsese or Spielberg, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> from the They're... from the creator of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, comes um, Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I got that wrong. That's that. That's the soundtrack. I've got the soundtrack in mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was just a tell, like. Uh, I was kind of like, well, maybe they're they're kind of stretching to kind of get people to on board and, and get the view out it, of it. Well, I th- based on that, like they actually hit that mark. Like when it's coming to, you know, the gritty police work and all that stuff, they actually hit that. Like if you like those movies, yeah, then this has that in it. Not saying you'll like this as well. But it definitely has that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm it. Netflix is a good thing. I'm yeah. convinced of it. It's not evil. I, I'm so. in agreement. Um, <laughs> because if you the way I look at it is it, like Netflix is going to have misses because the major studios have misses. So absolutely. like there's no like real good um, formula that you can have to to make everything a hit unless mm-hmm. you're. Oh, I don't know. Oh, Pixar, I guess, is the only thing that's really even their even their misses are hits. Yeah, I mean they they will will always uh, recoup and then some. For mm-hmm. for now, I mean they just have enough good credit and like even like the only thing I can think of is maybe the Good Dinosaur, and I think even that probably did numbers. Yeah, it yeah. was it wasn't a bad movie. Yeah, I watched it. it yeah, sound. well, that's kind of like uh, talking about like musicians like um the you know the worst pixar movie is still better than a lot of people's best movies so yeah yeah good enough incredible uh, jason have you watched any good movies lately recently 
Oh yeah. Um, I. So I'm glad you asked because I got my pleasure. I I got really high. You say Cloverfield week. paradox. I will just shut yeah. this down. <laughs> Uh, no, ne- uh, runner up actually, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I, I I know you guys have discussed it on the pod, but man, I have. It's been a while since I've been that satisfied with watching a uh, watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched that this week, um, and it it just it, it had all my favorite things in it. I mean, cra- crazy weird soundtrack that that matched up almost identically with the with 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 the uh original from the 80s um ryan gosling uh i i like ryan gosling as an actor i i know that's he's kind of a a a heartthrob type but i mean he's he's not afraid to kind of kind of push the boundaries a little bit and uh, i thought he did great in it um but yeah that it just had all the all my favorite things in it. Weird, long, drawn-out camera angles with perfect lighting and, mm-hmm. and kind of grayscale coloring and just sharp, uh, like, Kubrick-style um, shots that, that just kind of set it off for me. So that that I watched that this week, and, uh, yeah, I recommend somebody check that out, red box it um, next movie night. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's visually, that's the only way I can say it's visually stunning. It's just, it's a feast for your eyes. Find a great TV. Like, I want to go see this on IMAX sometime. And I know that's probably never going to get a chance. I'll never get a chance to see it like that. But it is fucking amazing. I'm I'm sad that I didn't. So yeah, when it came same. out, I, I I heard a review and it was like, it was kind of on board with it, but it was saying that it was very long and it's it just it was hard for me to find time and i kept thinking in my head well i don't want to go you know ask somebody to go see a three-hour movie with me or whatever in the theater that's maybe not up for it and Mm -hmm. i should have just gone because i was very uh blown away yes like you said like cinematography if this doesn't hit on something in the oscars i'll be i'll be pretty disappointed but yeah definitely um definitely worth it in that in that respect mm-hmm. yeah I, I i think you you uh line up pretty perfectly with us on that one and the whole you know they 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 kind of mixed in the, the old original uh blade runner just the right amount like it wasn't like a continuation like it it was a continuation but it wasn't it was his own story um it it stemmed from the original but it was just the right amount just the mm-hmm. right amount of Harrison Ford to get you to get you through the weekend yeah. you know <laughs> as they say yes but, yeah um yeah it was like it was like you you would definitely benefit from watching the first one but it's not it's not uh it's it doesn't hinge upon that yeah yeah absolutely yeah you could go you could you could do without it. it it'll probably make you want to watch the first one which if that's the case, if you haven't seen the first one and and you go back and watch the first one after it, you're gonna notice a difference. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. You might. It's gonna, there's gonna be a difference. Filmmaking but, uh, has come a long way. Yeah. Well, yeah. so the director, uh, same same director as Sicario. Yep. Um, yeah. That that was a. I mean, when that came out, 
um, Sicario came out. That was like my favorite movie that year. So that's what I'm, I'm not talking surprised. about. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to see more of what um, I his name's escaping me right now. The director. Yeah, Villeneuve. Um, I'm excited to see what else he produces, and um, I'm a fan. Yeah. Um. Well, he did. He did Arrival last year, mm-hmm. or I guess two years ago now. Um, yeah, which that was, was great too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it. I don't. It was. It was good. It wasn't like it just. It uh, aspired to be something. It felt a little bit like Arrival. I think. I think we talked about this in the podcast. Wait, um, which one? Uh, or um, Arrival, Arrival felt, felt like felt like contact sorry yeah a little yeah, bit like little contact bit. yeah 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 that movie yeah uh with less mcconaughey <laughs> yeah yeah that's a notch against it for sure yeah yeah for sure um we're big mcconaissance you know, guys we're big mcconaissance <laughs> guys we love him. I've been on the McConaughey train since mm-hmm. True Detective, mm-hmm. but every, everything before that, I was like, "No, no, not doing it." But that that show single handedly changed everything I I think about. Well, I yeah. I uh, read an interview with him that was really kind of very telling. Was um, when he decided, like he decided that he wasn't happy with where his career was, and he's like, "I just learned to say no to projects." It's like, man, be yeah. like you as soon as he started being selective he started knocking it out of the park yeah, yeah. right after yeah. tropic thunder fool no, uh, i actually you know what it was probably was um fool's gold uh, the movie sahara <laughs> oh like was that the movie that broke him i i, I think so because it was supposed I to be like a real big movie because it was based on a bunch of books mm-hmm. and i fucking love that movie i'm not apologizing for it i've never seen it <laughs> i haven't seen i love it, it. cuz yeah, Dirk Diggler or Dirk Pitt. Sorry, not Dirk Diggler. Dirk, Dirk Pitt. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm basking in the glory of the reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I like it. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, yeah, very uh, Dennis Villeneuve. I'm I'm interested in everything he does at this point. Like he's. He's at the point where, like, um, he, he, you know, he has the potential to pick a project that I'm not going to like, but I'm still interested in what he's going to do with it because he has, a, he's like not afraid to um, tell a story in an out of box fashion. Yep. I think he should do all of Ridley Scott's movies over. Yeah. Or not like over, that. not over, but uh, let's let's give him the Alien franchise. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that would be wise. Mm-hmm. And then, and then maybe uh, he can tell a follow up to American Gangster since we're giving him Ridley Scott properties. Yeah. There you go. You tell the Nicky Barnes story. Uh, well, hasn't he done some some uh, like indie type films too? Well, he did. He did a movie called um, he did a movie called the An- or Enemy. Yeah, and then uh, Prisoners. And Prisoners. That's yes, correct. Prisoners was that that movie's a hard watch. But that yeah. was kind of his his coming out party. Like that yeah. was, um, like hey hey here's a new there's a hot new auteur on the scene. 
His name's yeah. Dennis. Denise. We can't Denise. say his last name. We don't With know. With one N. Den is. Den is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, he did like prisoners. That's that's like a uh, well, yeah. It's it's a kind of a hard watch. I really liked it. It's really good. Enemy. That that is one of his. That's the uh, art house like. Uh, like uh, filmmakers, that the filmmakers film, you know, all kinds of uh, subtle innuendos and gestures, and kind of you don't like the you're yeah, a little bit of disdain for the the viewer just just because, like a little pretentious. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anything after that, like I, I've loved pretty much everything he's done. So Enemy is the only one I really didn't like. So. Yeah, there you go. Oh, man. Uh, anything else, Jason? Any other recent recent uh, watches? Uh, saw The Shape of Water. Um, still in theaters, so uh, we went and uh, saw that last week. Um, I liked it, but not my favorite from... Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo, yep, yes. del Toro. Yeah, so it was good. It was really good. Um, very easy watch, uh, which I kind of wasn't expecting. Ninety-two uh, percent of Rotten Tomatoes kind of drew me in mm-hmm. into it, but uh, yeah, good cast. Um, all, overall, Octavia Spencer is really good in it. Um, and it kind of has that traditional uh, Guillermo del Toro monster look, yeah, um, which is kind of cool in its own right. But uh, yeah, it, it was kind of um, yeah. See, I, I don't want to. I, I guess I was expecting a little more out of it, um, and I think it'll do well Oscar wise, just because of kind of like the premise. It sort of had this like feel that was like. You know, just it had the like the feel good thing of like, okay, someone's different than you. You shouldn't be mean to them, sort of deal. And critics always kind of go crazy over that. Mm-hmm. Um, Look at Crash. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, but overall, uh, a good watch. I, I, you know, it was kind of that Cold War time time frame, which it always makes for kind of a cool a cool uh, setting. And then, um, like I said, the plot was was easy to get through it wasn't you know too intricate where you you lost kind of interest or got got kind of um off track but um yeah shape of water uh maybe uh, a weekend rental mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> is that a rating on this on, on this pod sure we could do that now yeah i like it <laughs> it's a red box it's a red box must see we could do that special. we could do like watching the theaters uh, yeah, red box, red box thing. Stream it or catch it on cable. Mm-hmm. I I will say, yeah, I was very uh, Michael Shannon. I think kind of plays the antagonist. Um, yeah, Michael Shannon plays the antagonist. He, this is probably his best. Um, not saying that I've seen everything that he's done, but um, he's kind of grown into a to to be a really good actor. I saw him in. Uh, 
Oh, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie with, um, oh man, it was a really heavy movie. Nocturnal this Animals. Is... Nocturnal, yes. yeah. Yes. Fuck yes. That movie he was, was awesome. great in that. Yeah. He was great God, in that. I need to watch that movie again. Me too. Fucking, lo- I yeah, really I'll... like that movie. Yeah, that movie was, that had, that movie, uh, I watched on a business trip. I was in a hotel room by myself and I just, I, I kind of, I had like an elevated heart rate, like for the next 24 hours. Like I was just like kind of, kind of uneasy, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh that was a good, that was a good movie though. But Michael Shannon, that for me, it, it kind of showed, showed me his true colors and he, he does that again in the shape of water. So nice. yeah, cool. I'm, I'm a fan of his nice, nice, yeah. nice. Uh, I did not really watch anything, but Brad, how about you? Uh, that's about it. I started watching that movie that I'm going to assign you here in a second. Excellent. That movie. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, building Legos in the evenings and podcasting and playing hockey. So yeah, Uh, that sounds, I, I wish I was doing that. I got the podcasting down, but yeah. Playing Legos yeah. and building hockey sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, let's get into it then. Let's, yeah, uh, yeah, let's, so, let's dole them out, and I'll just go right into it. It's called The Ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it, like, okay, so when you're watching Netflix on, like, I, uh, on my streaming thing, like, it automatically brings up the next... Um, I was watching the the movie uh, Futile and Stupid, Futile and Stupid Gesture, and the next like whenever it was done, whenever the credits credits were rolling, this thing trailer came up. I was like, eh, I'm gonna check this out. Started watching it, and I was like, oh, this this looks pretty good. I, and but time constraints, wanted to finish watching it, but I couldn't. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna sign it to Andrew, and we'll both watch it for next week. Perfect. So the ritual. I'm in. All right, um, I've got a. Uh, I think I mentioned this when uh, I was talking about uh, Raw. Um, so I've got a body horror movie for you from 2007, a movie called Teeth. Teeth, teeth. Oh yeah, I remember seeing this yes. somewhere. Not seeing it, but but uh, being made aware of it. Yes. Sure. I like it. Uh, yes, yeah, so that came out in 2007. It is streaming on Netflix. And uh, I'm, I'm sending that your way. Sweet. Sweet, mm-hmm. sweet, sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for the listeners, I'm going to suggest watching Nightcrawler. Speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal, I think one of his better performances. Um, uh, underrated movie, I think. I really enjoyed this movie. It's it. Uh, I had high hopes for it, and it kind of underperformed at the box office. But uh, a kind of a take on today's culture in the um, you know if it bleeds, it leads type yes. of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's not just today's culture, but just culture in general. Um, yeah. So uh, check out Nightcrawler. Yes. Uh, streaming on Amazon. Nice. I really nice. liked that movie. Yeah, I did too. It was a good one. Um. I, I got a layup for you guys. Uh, I saw the streaming on Netflix this afternoon, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go for it. Uh, 1987, um, pretty much the gold standard for, for buddy cop movies, Lethal Weapon. Oh, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Do yourself a favor. 
<laughs> yeah, I honestly might sit down and watch this one night this week because uh, it's been a while and uh, it is it is sweet. So uh, that's streaming on Netflix. Uh, next week we are talking about the Ritual and Teeth. Both are on Netflix. And uh, if you want to wait to uh, hear what we think of those, don't worry. We got you covered with movies we know we like and are happy to recommend. The Nightcrawler is on Amazon Prime and Lethal Weapon is on Netflix. Yeah, uh, I did, and at the risk of making, you know, continuing this episode a little bit longer, um, I did get a chance to sit down and watch Jurassic Park with my son. Yeah, oh, so this is a movie that I it was probably a little bit too early for him because I, I had, like, I haven't watched this movie, like, front to back. I wish I could watch this for the first time again. I feel like well, it was too early for all of us, I think. Well, I was... You know, I was old enough. <laughs> old, old enough to know better, young enough yeah. to not care. It's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but so it, I probably could have waited a couple years because this there is no lack of jump scares and pretty gruesome deaths in mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. And I had to sh- hide his eyes from mm-hmm. some of the scenes. Um, I told him that, what's his name, Ray Knight? No, not Ray Knight. Um, Wayne Knight? Uh, what, Wayne Knight, yes. Ray Knight was a player for the, the Mets, I think. Right? The third baseman, I think. Ray Knight? The Mets? Maybe. Yes. In the, in the 1980s. Um, Those were the days. Yes. Um, but I told him he was the bad guy mm-hmm. in the movie. And uh, and he knew he was going to be meeting a death. And I had to shield, shield his eyes from that. And then when Clever Girl happened. Stick, and stupid. Get to stick. And uh, when uh, once, <laughs> yeah. when Samuel L. Jackson's arm appears, uh-huh. I, I just shield his eye from that because I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, yeah. But he liked it, and wow. he's he's all in. He's he wants to watch Jurassic Park too. So yeah, but Lost World's so not bad. He's a he's a completionist, yeah. and he wants to watch them all. He's a, he's a cinephile. I get it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, yeah that the, was that was a fun watch. The true test of how discerning his tastes are at this <laughs> uh very yes. young age. Young age of six. <laughs> oh, I, I love Jurassic Park three. Well, I can't take you seriously. Mm. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of us should leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's crazy that you say that because I distinctly remember my mom shielding my eyes in the theater. When Wayne Knight was getting jacked up by that spitting, dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, like, and even covering his eyes wasn't enough because the screaming, the, the sound design is so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, it was. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely not like just the, the overall. Uh, yeah, it it's, it wasn't enough just to shield his eyes. So. We'll wow. probably never forget that. So this Jurassic Park thing will probably go on. The franchise will probably live on. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, he's watched Jaws Life already. Life finds so. a way. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm. 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 I don't. I'm, I'm either scarring him or making him into a a film lover. So mm-hmm. one of the two. Um, do you have anything for us, Jason, that we should watch? Like anything you think. 
Yeah. Um, so I have, speaking of Netflix, and we've kind of hit that topic a little bit, um, but it, I, I've been on a, on a standup comedy kick. So if, if anybody's looking for, if you guys are looking for just something different, um, I highly recommend Tom Segura, uh, Disgraceful. It's a Netflix special. Uh, it just came out, I think, a few weeks back. But I found it to be really funny. I watched it twice. So um, if you're just looking for something different, something to laugh at, uh, check that out. All right. So uh, I guess without further ado, um, we have a, uh, a uh, list. It was uh, We've each expertly curated our own, but... Uh, we are doing tonight the, uh, as you might have recognized from the title, the top five original soundtracks slash and or scores. Um, and these are our, our five personal favorites. Um, mm-hmm. And we should we should say uh, definitely original scores mm-hmm. or slash original soundtracks. Now, like. Yeah, I was a little confused mm-hmm. because I thought maybe original soundtrack. I was thinking like, I because I can't tell the difference. Well, I know that I know the difference in my mind, but whether I can convey it into you guys's mind, like soundtrack. When I think of soundtrack, I'm thinking of songs, like right. um, lyrics. You know, three and a half minute song during a movie to enhance it. But like when I think of score, I'm thinking of you know the underwriting music of each one where you there's no lyrics but you like you hear it and oh that takes me back to that scene you know whereas like a movie like dazed and confused that's a soundtrack movie right right those have like there's the the songs that you know they're coming on but when i thought original soundtrack i'm thinking oh there are some movies out there that have like uh one of the most uh the biggest one ever i think is the graduate right yeah we were just talking about this on maps Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, you know, Simon Garfunkel did that for that movie, you know, and you have a movie like Eight Mile, right, which is an original soundtrack. But um, this is more original score, like the underwriting music of that. There no lyrics, just. Yeah, just just beautiful composition sets the tone for the movie, because like if these if these. if these movies didn't have these scores, they would be less than for oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, think, um, I hopefully I'm not spoiling anyone's list, but I know that like the importance of music, I feel like, um, uh, the importance of score is totally, um, understated in the day to day discussion of movies. I feel like, um, and maybe it's because it's something I pay a ton of attention to. Um, as as a as a music lover um but uh what is it uh john carpenter's halloween like they did a they did a test showing of that without any score and it was like it it was abysmal like it went over incredibly poorly and um they didn't really they didn't cut the film much but they added um john carpenter's original score and it completely changed the movie to the you know the kind of pillar of slasher films that we see it as today yeah Yeah. and that is such a good that that's a great example and recently like as as recent as like six months ago i i found like these 
John Carpenter makes all these other, uh, all this other music. Mm-hmm. Like he just keeps writing music and and making albums and putting them out, and they are awesome. Yeah, I mean, if you're kind of into that, or even like thinking you might be into that, just just put it on one day when you're at work, if you're at the office or whatever. Throw it on on the earbuds and and uh, it it's it's pretty cool. Like you, you kind of see this whole new level of like, like, you know, not only are they writing for uh, movies, but you know that this guy is writing for outside of that too. And and you kind of see where the inspiration comes from. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, this was. Uh... As as the guest, we let you pick the uh, top five. Was there anything specific that um, made this uh, that made this the the choice for you? So uh, I was so orig- when when you approached me with that task, I I was thinking uh, how cold it, it it is in in Nebraska, mm-hmm. and um, I originally was saying, oh, let's do cold weather movies and. Um, or you know, cold weather scenes, and and I just thought that could that could go all over the place. But uh, I I think I've always um, kind of had a, a thing for soundtracks. Like I just have always I, I played an orchestra growing up, and um, I just joined the community orchestra here in uh, in Omaha. I, I, I play the viola, and it, it just I always recognize the soundtrack, and it's always such an enhancement for me. Like. With the movie, it could be a subpar movie, and uh, if I notice the soundtrack is just it's hitting it on all cylinders, uh, I'll I'll enjoy it. For example, um, oh man, I gotta stop. I gotta stop yeah. saying for example and not actually remembering the example. But <laughs> sci-fi thriller, uh, it, I'll, I'll I'll look it up here in a second. But <laughs> basically, it was a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the soundtrack was on it was perfect it was like resident evil type of sci-fi uh yeah. horror um in space the 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 spaceship is underwater it turns out what what a twist <laughs> yeah but anyway i just those little things like the movie can just be terrible and mm-hmm. if if the soundtrack's hitting uh i'll i'll probably remember it so I thought that that I, it would be interesting to kind of pick your guys' brain and see, um, see what you guys thought of your top five yeah. original scores. Absolutely, I, I'm excited because I'm big. Uh, I'm a big uh, score guy as well. So, Pandorum. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, Dennis Quaid, right? Yeah. If you watch that, and it, so it's it's just okay. I, I, I kind of liked it because I like that kind of stuff, but it's just okay. And uh, but if you watch it again and listen to the, I mean, to the background, it's uh, it's nine inch nailsy kind of industrial and and droney and and just really cool uh, score in the background. So pass. Uh, what else you got? <laughs> I always feels like I nine I inch see nails. That, though, no thanks. I. <laughs> I think about that that guy, like whoever scored the movie, and I'm like, man, it must he, suck that like this movie he, did so terribly, and like he probably put everything he had into like making a good score for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and they're like the unsung heroes, and of movies because I get it, like they there's no really, lyrics. 
Well, they just set the tone, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. No. Oh it, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I missed your joke. I'm sorry. That was good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, but no, you're you're right. Like it is. Like they are the literal unsung heroes. Yes. Yeah, but but you take for a good score is easy to take for granted. A bad score is easy to pick out. Yeah. Yep. So it can be a thankless job, and it's our job to thank them tonight. Yes, it's tonight. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I'm going to go first because, of course, I've got more than five. Yeah. I've got a uh, – maybe not a shitload. I was able to narrow mine down pretty good, <laughs> but gotta... I've got a ton of honorable mentions that I feel like I want to uh, talk about. <laughs> glad I'm you said gonna... that because i got a couple too. So mm-hmm. Perfect. <laughs> So, so what we've I got another hour and a half left. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're just getting started. Strap up. Yeah. <laughs> Strap in. Um, so what I did, I I did um, kind of on the fly. I did a. Uh, mine goes from. I have six. It goes from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, and 2000. The or the 2000, the teens or whatever they call mm. them. Or uh, what are we calling them now? I don't know. Um, so, anyways, I'm I'm starting in the '60s, and it's from uh, a, I mean this this is the only really good '60s movies that I love. There's a couple, maybe one or two in there, but uh, <clears throat> they had a run in the '60s, '64, uh, '65, and '67. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting in '64 at Goldfinger, '65 Thunderball, and '67 You Only Live Twice. Uh, John Barry does the composing for most of the, the scores and, um, and, and 64 with Goldfinger, uh, Shirley Baisley does Goldfinger. Thunderball is, uh, Tom Jones and, uh, you only live twice is Nancy Sinatra, uh, with the opening scenes for all these James Bond movies. And, um, John Barry scores them all. And, and there's <laughs> the scores for all these movies are pretty much the same because you get the double seven theme, you know, Dun, 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 and that yeah. and then you also have the um whenever something is you know he's trying to do something uh it's uh um uh, uh i mean these are score heavy like every scene has a score there's no scene that isn't there's no like silent interlude except if he's like just before he beds his the next lady you know but even then it right. still has a score underneath it you know it's it's like james bond beds the next girl mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the name of the song <laughs> um pound, but like pound um, an interlude mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just flutes and violas there you go yes uh, but the dun 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 you know that that the whole thing where he's you know trying to you know he's putting together this tiny little helicopter or he's uh um you know trying to disarm a uh the 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 clock or whatever it is it's uh, everything is is scored to actually probably overscored mm-hmm. and um but it is distinctive it's like any anytime you hear any of that music you know exactly what it is and it's it's um it is a part of that James that James Bond universe not yeah, so much absolutely. this James Bond universe but that James Bond universe well they use it to to an effect or to an extent they use it to like, accentuate and maybe um 
overcompensate for the like fight choreography and stuff like that. Similar, yes. Yeah. To a lesser extent, but similar to um, the '66 Batman of that era, where it's just like yes. a, you know, a punch is signified with horns. Um, yeah. And uh, they do. There's a little bit more subtlety to it, but yeah, it definitely is. It's a part of the choreography of those movies. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's a it's part and parcel with the 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 age in, in which it was made because like that's how they sure. made movies back then everything had to have sound underneath it and like it it, it was it, yeah. they didn't they didn't let the they they didn't have enough trust in the, they didn't think their viewer or watcher or the people that were consuming this had enough. Um, uh, not interest, but uh, they, they weren't smart enough to understand the plot. They had to force it down your throat. But uh, it's 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 a part of my life, and like I will like I hear that, and it automatically brings me back to you know thirteen years old and watching James Bond movies, you know, over and over and over and over again. So yeah, uh, John Barry, he is. Uh, I don't know what he would be today, but he he had an influence on my life for sure. In the 1960s. Awesome. Nice, nice. That is awesome. You gotta love Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger. Oh yeah. Intro too. Well, it, 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 oh. in, in an era where they, you know, they they went to this singer and said, "Hey, we need you to write a song for the intro to this James Bond movie. It's called Goldfinger. <laughs> Have at it." And they said, "Okay, what's what's the premise?" Well. You know, he's the man. Everything he touches <laughs> turns to gold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That song, I mean, it's so iconic. Well, like what's What's great about that? What's great about the score too is that John Barry does incorporate a lot of the the title song into. And I don't know what came first. What What came first, her song or his score? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how do you yeah. just think? Because there's a lot of that, and then yeah. like it, it it filters into something else. But it's it's really everything is it, it's an overall theme of that mu- movie. Yeah, it's kind of it serves kind of as an overture while being a distinct song. Like the the musical phrasing kind of carries throughout. Yeah, I dare yeah. you guys. I dare you guys to listen to Tom Jones. Uh, th- his Thunderball and Nancy Sinatra's "You Only Live Twice." They're they are really good songs, and Tom Jones crushes thun- the Thunderball theme. Like crushes it. Like it's really good. Like I know Tom Jones is cheesy. <laughs> I understand, but he crushes it. <laughs> hey, I mean, credit where credits due. Yeah, Chris uh, Chris Cornell is uh, amazing, but he you know you know my name was not really in in his wheelhouse i feel like oh i i still love that song i do too so i like if you could probably hear the hesitation in my voice saying that because like i like yeah. it but it's also one of those where i'm like i know it's not it's not yeah. it's, a, it's well, not up a, to that's snuff good that's for the guy another... who did sound uh who uh who made super unknown yeah i know i know it was yeah it was his uh it, Let's get some money. Let's make some money off this Soundgarden thing. Yeah, it was his uh, cash rules everything around me moment. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways. Um, I Yeah, I, I am a fan of those picks. Uh, Jason, why don't you uh, go ahead with your number five? My number five, and I, I kind of had trouble putting these in a particular order, but my number five is going to be Sunshine. 
the movie Sunshine by uh, mm. the original score was done by John Murphy. Um, he's famous for I think he did like Twenty Eight Days Later. Yeah, that's uh, it. Sunshine's a Danny Boyle movie, isn't it? Yes, okay. and um, he I, I picked this one. The, the movie's great, uh, but he I, I picked this one because this adagio I think they call it the adagio um, is so uh, kind of memorable, and I think it was used that particular piece has been used over and over again in like i don't know like all kinds of like motivational videos or commercials and and uh uh even maybe other movie trailers you know that like you ever see a movie trailer and they actually play someone else's like hmm. score yes yes uh the best like, one how the is best that one thing? was um there was a trailer for uh what was it it was a trailer for uh uh stormship troopers and a the the trailer the song or uh song two from blur played yeah, right over it. never showed up anywhere in the song or in the <laughs> movie never yeah right um yeah so i i just i picked it because it's it's just kind of it it's iconic um it, it kind of stuck with me for a while, and yeah, it's very memorable. If any anybody that pulls it up on Spotify or Apple Music, you'll you'll probably recognize that. But uh, yeah, it's John Murphy's uh, OST for Sunshine. Can you play a little bit of that, Andrew? Sure. Uh, actually, I I looked for it. One of the first things that came up was uh, Sunshine Adagio in D minor. So. Oh. Feel like I'm there. <laughs> this goes good. I just poured my third beer, so <laughs> it's a very epic moment for you. Yeah. I remember really liking this movie until the third act. Yeah, I don't dislike it. It takes a weird turn. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it takes like a very paranormal turn. This sounds like our opening. <laughs> it kind of does, yeah. <laughs> we just hear Ryan come in. <laughs> in a word. In a word. podcast worth its weight in salt yeah this piece is what every movie wishes it had in it like right. I, you know yeah. what I mean like it always any epic yeah. scene wishes it had this playing in the background I feel like <laughs> can we get the rights to Adagio in D minor yeah. <laughs> I like um, the recommended next is uh relaxing video game music N64 edition. <laughs> so, so it knows yeah. what I like. 
Yeah, so it's just a very, uh, it's kind of generic, but um, I just feel like it, it, it hits all those, well, you know, requirements. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that, the, uh, the cliched for a reason example yeah like like exactly it it does exactly what it's supposed to do and it does it um there's a lot of imitators um that don't do it as well and it kind of just um it does it injustice in in reverse kind of i don't know well i mean just based on that because i haven't seen this movie but like just based on the 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 title sunrise it felt like a sunrise because it it starts out slow and it kind of builds and builds and builds until it feels like it's like overwhelming you because the light is hitting you and like all that stuff so yeah yeah that's that's a good point yeah Yeah. that's actually very pretty much yeah that's pretty much the plot of the movie right there yeah it's a worthwhile watch but just like the 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 yeah the turn in the third act is just kind of like i don't know if you yeah had decided what you wanted to be yet but right anyways yeah yeah uh nice sunshine i like it i like it um and even with that turn it's still still a solid movie but it's going somewhere else i felt like uh so my number five i just am gonna get it out of the way because it's definitely the most obvious choice for me and it is um jurassic park by john williams um obviously one of my favorite movies of all time and i feel like a huge part of it is um the big um bombastic brass score of uh of jurassic park like it just creates this um uh this sweeping epic like adventurous world um is just accentuated so perfectly um you know it it swells when it needs to it can um not as memorable of moments but it you know kind of it um can be understated at times and uh it's just obviously the the theme itself is just so iconic and it's one of those things where it's just so the movie is just so intertwined with its score for me um that think about the when i think about the um the accompanying the the visuals that i associated with this movie are definitely accompanied by its score like the the grand like opening of the those giant gates and uh john williams score i, I mean i don't know i i feel like this is a movie that we we kind of hit on a lot just because it is one of the movies that I it's one of my default like what's your favorite movie Jurassic Park so we talk about it a lot um well so that's why I kind of wanted to get it out of the way because I I couldn't not mention it it is one of the things that like I think one of the reasons I really enjoy scores is because of John Williams uh score in this one well he does he does wonder well he does yeah it, like he like you, you the 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 things that you would like you imagine you want to do or like like ha, like how you'd be awed by something he's he can capture that like that that yeah, like awe. rising mm-hmm. yes yeah that like that thing of just like unexpected like uh, ch- like bring you back to your childhood like oh yeah that's that's what it is and like whenever um uh, what's his name is like they're they're driving through and he sees his first dinosaur like mm-hmm. there there it is or whether it's uh, E.T. or you know 
whatever it is, Star Wars, even, yeah, yeah, like all he, those all those things that like he does wonder well. Like yeah, he, he, yeah, he's he only does wonder and and grandeur. Like he yeah. he really makes those big scores for these big blockbuster movies. I mean, like you mentioned, uh, Star Wars, E.T. The big like the best Spielberg scores are. are oh. Pretty I mean, much all Spielberg. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if he's had anyone else score his movies. Um, he's. Yeah, I was looking on his IMDb. He has three hundred ninety or three hundred sixty four credits. Yeah, <laughs> all for soundtracks. Yeah, I mean, even things I don't like. I'm. I really am. I don't like. I don't get the Harry Potter franchise. Um. The the music is beautiful. Like mm-hmm. I've, uh, there's been times where I've actually just put on the um, original soundtrack for Harry Potter. I have no interest in revisiting those movies, um, and I'm not even done. I'm only halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> halfway through the the movies I uh, I I uh, resolved to watch in in 2017. <laughs> just can't do it. They don't they don't grasp me like that. But but his music is still just so engaging that even when it's in movies that i don't like i can pick it out and i i really just kind of fall in love with it so but yeah i I actually had him on for an honorable mention for indiana jones Mm -hmm. um i I mean he's he's the type of of soundtrack uh I, i shouldn't say soundtrack i guess with score uh composer that in 100 years People are going to be going to the symphony to listen to those compositions. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Weird well, thing it, about that, but yeah, we're he's he is going to be the classical composer, right? And that's a that's a good point because like there isn't like like the artists today aren't doing like symphonies and stuff. The only place you can find that where like multi piece orchestras and stuff are in movies. Like right, that's yeah. really the only like maybe like somewhere. Like where it's um, where everyone can gather around and say this is you know this is an acceptable form of art because like I mean I'm sure there's like I mean you're you're in an orchestra right yeah and, like but like it used to be that was the thing to hear go to see a multi piece band or orchestra play but now it's you know you get the white stripes. Or you, yeah. you know, or everything is synthesized. You know, you get DJ Khaled mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is this Shrek? <laughs> yeah, no. That, I mean, it's weird to think about, but like even with classical music, uh, like you know, Strauss and these guys were were writing pieces for tone poems, things, stories that already existed for hundreds of years. They're, they they made music that would equate with them. Uh, you know Romeo and Juliet and stuff like that, and that's we're all kind of like if we heard it today we would recognize it, but that was written 200 years ago. You know, right. so it's weird to think about what that's going to be like. And yeah, John Williams is right up there with uh, who I think you know our kids' kids will be. You know, if if they're sophisticated and they're going to the symphony or whatever, mm-hmm. they're going to be going to they're going to have a a program that. It, talks about john williams and it it's weird to think about yeah yeah actually the um i unfortunately missed it um 
and I'm just hoping against hope that it happens again. But the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra did a like an evening of John Williams music. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be cool to see. You're right on with that. That stuff is like he doesn't write easy stuff. Like, (laughs) oh, contraire, because my number five is two notes. Four. Okay. Quattro. Dunna. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah yeah yeah. Dunna. Okay. From from my 1970s my 1970s uh addition uh, to this. Yeah. Uh, from 1975, John Williams. He's right in there with Jaws. Yeah. And um, with those I uh, just you know, just that low boom boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, just uh, like this movie. Actually, this is one of those movies where the first act would be really bad without without any score, mm-hmm. but the second act or the third, I guess, the second to third act, whatever it is, however it rolls, um, uh, actually could be without a score, but it, it's only it is enhanced because of the score um yeah i think the score of this movie is so much more than just the theme i i mean yes. obviously the theme is like uh it's one of those things that stood the test of time for a reason but i do also think that the, this movie is much greater than just the uh Two notes. theme yeah yeah you know that the theme though that, that you're talking about um it, it was almost kind of the first time anybody had ever, and I'm speaking kind of ignorantly, but I, from what I can see, it's kind of the first time that anybody kind of made that sort of uh, theme that, that stuck with people and really set the tone. Like, that, like hey, something bad is going to happen, and you, you know it because the the... Yes, the, the theme has changed drastically. <laughs> I would I would say this in like a movie like Psycho, yeah, like where you know you you have those the violins or I think it's violins playing, but like yes, it's it's, yeah. it's it, it, the ominous theme over top of it, and uh, uh, it's and and what it was it was it was a placeholder for the shark, right? It was the the score was a placeholder for the because you didn't see the shark all you right. heard was the notes and you knew that this the shark was in the water and yeah. it was it was there because you heard the notes and um yeah it that's yeah it it was that um ominous sound that uh was that will haunt you know probably my son for the next you know <laughs> he's not going to get in the water <laughs> he's probably not going to get in the water after what happened yesterday <laughs> <laughs> his dreams of being a lifeguard are shot yes <laughs> uh yeah good choice oh absolutely it's one of those well i mean if you go on untapped you can see that i i have a copy of it right behind me right now so yes it's one of my damn. uh damn you one of my favorites one of my favorites <laughs> for sure but i knew um just as i'm sure Brad, you are not surprised to hear Jurassic Park on my list. That's I, right. I am not surprised That's to hear right. Jaws on yours. So. That's right. Yeah. All right. So, Jason, number four. Number four for me is The Social Network. 
Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, yeah, so Trent Reznor has a kind of a special place kind of in my, I guess, Nine Inch Nails in general and the music that I listened to growing up and even present day. I, I've always been a fan, but when he broke off and kind of started doing uh, movie soundtracks and specifically The Social Network, um, I just think it's it's one of the best scores to uh, kind of maybe one of the most underrated movies um, in the in recent years. Uh, this score, I, I I put on this soundtrack to to do homework. I put it on to do uh, work work. It, it 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 sparks like creativity. It it it, it kind of focuses me a little bit. It's it's just great. Um, it's just, it's kind of crazy how he was able to kind of take this tech world of like this Facebook startup, um, and turn it into, uh, an, an audible, um, theme. Uh, so, uh, hats off to Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for social network. <clears throat> yeah. I, yeah. I really like what they're doing. Like, I think it's, um, I don't know. It, it's kind of an injection of fresh ideas, and I think it's coming from a source that maybe people don't, uh, it, maybe people don't realize. Like Trent Reznor is a classically trained pianist, um, so he he, um, and especially when you listen to like Nine Inch Nails versus other industrial music, like he really has an ear for, um, you know, how to build a song instead of just making industrial noise which is okay too but it doesn't lend itself to scoring a movie yeah, yeah. i think a lot of people would be surprised to know like if, if they we you know mentioned like what girl with the dragon tattoo yeah. uh, well that's where i was like introduced to them because i i like it's it's bad on me for not seeing social network yet i haven't seen it yet but when i saw the girl with the dragon tattoo in that opening montage of like immigrant song and then the rest of the the rest of the movie was like chock full of that yeah 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 man that that i I guess i'm just a fanboy in general but that i mean there's so much depth to kind of what they're doing with these soundtracks nowadays and i guess recently uh my most recent download from that duo is uh the vietnam documentary from pbs and I mean, I, I listen to it on flights, and it just like you don't even have to like know, you don't even have to watch the documentary, like you know everything that's going on just by listening to the to the music. Um, so yeah, they're they're quite the soundtrack pair. Um, I'm kind of jealous of that's that's their career and that's what they do, and um, maybe that's part of it. But yeah, that's that's my number four. Um, highly recommend. Too, if you haven't seen the movie, definitely put ear earmark that for for uh, a day. Have you heard um, their uh, their Halloween theme cover? I am a big fan of that. Yeah, so that was recent, right? That yeah, that was, that was kind this, of a this year, this like yeah. Halloween time, so, or this year, twenty seventeen. Um, my bad. But yeah, <laughs> it was pretty recent. I I loved it. I felt like they they did a great job. I yeah, when they get together to 
to score something they just they do an excellent job and it's maybe in maybe was an unexpected source but at this point they've put together a pretty impressive run of really well scored or well composed soundtracks so scores so Should yeah so brad have you seen gone girl yes yes yeah so that that was another yep. one of theirs too yeah yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, I love the I love the pairing of you know uh, Fincher and in uh, Resner and Ross all together. I keep thinking because there's uh, Fincher, Atticus. I always think Atticus of Atticus Finch. Finch. <laughs> yeah, that's Atticus true. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. Weird. I never realized that until just now. He said that, so that's really strange. Yeah, I mean that's that's a cool thing because like you get you know Spielberg and John Williams hooked up so often. You get right. uh, Hans Zimmer and um, <clears throat> uh, Christopher Nolan hooked up so often, and uh, and we get we get Fincher and Ross and and um, and uh, uh, Resner hooked up, and and it, it it fits for the different styles that of movie making that they have, right? It, Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, you know, Nolan's more of a you know real life. Well, uh, you know, without you know taking away, maybe, uh, well, it, yeah, real life type of stuff. It, um, Spielberg's more whimsical, yeah, uh, and and John John Williams does all real well. Um, and then you get the more gritty techno, um, uh, you know, uh, it, with Reznor's, you know, past and and stuff like that so it, it they all kind of fit together you know especially with i wish i i would you know as good as the soundtrack was for seven like and that's a great soundtrack and maybe i hope i'm not spoiling, spoiling anything um like it would have been awesome to hear like even though resner was in you know with the soundtrack but it, it was you know, it was kind of right. sampled from that, but it would have been cool to see that because that movie was kind of devoid of soundtrack or of, of score a lot of the time. Huh. I actually never really noticed that, but I mean, there was there was some like, yeah, there was something there, but yeah, I I've hmm. I gotta watch. It's been a while since I watched Seven. That's such a good movie. I rewatched it recently, and I it like. It hit on these like, kind of a modern like it, I I realized different things about it like the style mm-hmm. of that movie is like way more film noir oh, than yeah. than I realized like when I was you know in my, in my teenage years or whatever but yeah it lends itself to a rewatch when you're older and kind of able it's to pick what, that stuff out a lot of those like you know you. you it's it's a i mean it's it's actually like it's a it's a science of the lambs type movie where it's it's one of those movies where it 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 doesn't age it it feels real like right now like it could be happening like today um but actually even more than science of the lambs i mean it is fucking great anyways i'm sorry stealing that (laughs) so social network everybody yeah Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, my uh, my number four um, predates uh, Fincher with this series, but uh, it is uh, James Horner's score for 1986 Aliens. Oh, all right, yeah. Um, I I feel like um, 
as a, as a, a fan of the movie and and uh, and Alien before it, I feel like um, James Horner does such a good job of capturing. Because this is a shift. Like Alien was a haunted house movie set in space, and Aliens is an action movie with a sci-fi backdrop. But it doesn't completely shed um, its initial image, and I think that James Horner does such a good job of setting the tone scene by scene and kind of allowing this movie to evolve into a full-on action, um, you know, 80s action spectacular that James Cameron did so well. Uh, as special, uh, special bonus points for his... Uh, I don't know who made the decision, um, but the lack of score in uh, the the uh, mech suit fight uh, uh, that is just um, <laughs> this is great decision making. I <laughs> it just seems weird to talk about when we're talking about score at how they um, make use of. <laughs> I, it's almost like you uh, like making use of the negative space, um, yeah. and then when it just when she hits the escape hatch and and the score comes in, it's just such a such a well done moment in uh in movies for me um but it just uh he does kind of just capture that um the especially with like the opening theme for me just that kind of conveying this like loneliness almost just with you know with nothing but music and it's i don't know it's it's always been one of those things that's impressed me and i like the original alien soundtrack but i feel like aliens um like he really was able to do i don't know he he maybe he was in control maybe someone was telling him exactly what they wanted but he was really able to nail down every ask like everything that he needed to do i feel like it's just a perfectly executed soundtrack yeah yeah well i mean it's yeah i mean you had me at mech suit right? mm -hmm. yeah yeah and even just when to um when to have music and when to not because the the lack of music can really um it can, it's one of those things where it has the potential to make or break a scene and, and the scene is just so enhanced. Like if there was just like underlying strings the whole time or something, um, that, that punch you get when the, the hatch door is open, um, you know, maybe it isn't as impactful and it's just, uh, I don't know, start to finish. I feel like it's one of those that is just nailed and, uh, Obviously, there's there's always going to be a conversation but around alien and aliens, and it's always, excuse me, for me, it's always tough to pick. Um, I think Alien is the better movie, but I'd rather I'm I'd rather watch Aliens. Like if it was, I don't know, and that's just how I'm feeling today. Uh, it just it goes back and forth so much, but I think that the definitive aliens soundtrack or the definitive score is in aliens. And I even notice, um, even though James Horner didn't do the composition for Prometheus, um, I did notice that they borrow a lot. They owe a lot to, um, to his score for aliens. And I think that the score to Prometheus is one of the things that, uh, is actually worthwhile. Yeah. So, Good, good. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, All right. 
Well, I'm going to stay on this uh, John Williams kick. Nothing wrong because with that. Ni- 1981, we get the horns. We get the horns because we get the ba 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 ba. Oh man! Uh, just like anytime you hear that, it's it it's like there's no doubt of what it is, and like it's like it, it it's so manipulative. You mm-hmm. like you you can see Spielberg sitting there and telling John, "This is where we want to do this," and then that's you know. Uh, because you know he he knows how to manip- manipulate his his uh, audience, yeah. um, but you know as soon as like something happens, something dire happens, and then all of a sudden he finds you know a way out, and you hear those horns go off, and and uh, yeah, uh, Rares of the Lost Ark, nineteen eighty one, and uh, like there's not a whole lot more you can say about it because it's just so iconic. Absolutely. I mean, that there's nothing, you know, there's a couple of those iconic sounds, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, Superman or, you know, those, those big, well, of course it's the same more John Williams stuff, but, um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy how he finds the tone for a movie like that. Like, you know, those these are like, gigantic characters larger than life characters and he is able to match that character with the sound you know and it's um yeah i I, i'm in awe of it because these movies the movies i'm talking about like are lesser movies without them they like without this the score yeah oh yeah he's he's so good at making a theme here that that theme goes with nothing else but a man in a leather jacket and a fedora swinging from a from yeah. a whip you know yeah. Yeah. and fighting punching nazis and all yes, that it's, absolutely and getting the shit beat out of them at the same time but like finding yeah. that, that last ounce of courage or will to come back and and punch that nazi right in the face <laughs> i was gonna say yeah. punch a nazi oh yeah no it a he John Williams does such a good job of making music that is inseparable from, like, you can't, uh, like we were talking about earlier, where you, where people kind of just ape or borrow music from other stuff. You can't put, like, Star Wars or Indiana Jones or Jurassic Park. Like, you can't throw that on something else. It's inseparable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as as soon as you use uh one of those themes everyone knows where it's from and you don't even necessarily have to be um super familiar with any of those things you just you know it instantly it's like this is not indiana jones why why are you using this so yeah yeah awesome cool all right jace what's up (laughs) all right number three is uh, Clint Mansell for The Fountain. I don't know if you guys have seen this movie. Wow. You're doing some deep dives here. I know. <laughs> I've had these in my head for a long time. So, uh, yeah, like I said, just another score that kind of stuck out to me when I saw the movie. Movie didn't hit that well in the box office. I, Darren Aronofsky, <laughs> um, kind of maybe one of his not so catchy films but well, just ask yeah just maybe ask one of about them. mother mother <laughs> mother 
um, yeah, so it, I actually really enjoy the movie uh, for its cinematography. Uh, I think I read somewhere that it was like a, a a dad and a son with like their their like they had a special micro film camera setup. Uh, I'm I'm you I'm these are industry terms. You guys yeah. will catch on here <laughs> <Yeah>. one one day. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it, they. It, it's just a very crazy movie. It's kind of all over the place, um, special effect wise and story wise. It's it's way too over the pl- you know all over the place. But the soundtrack is is kind of memorable. Um, Clint Mansell is pretty good, pretty good with that. And again, I think this is another one of those themes. There's a recurring theme in this score uh, that ha- I've noticed has been used for other. Uh, uh, trailers and and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, Clint Mansell, The Fountain. Um, maybe if you're feeling experimental, watch the movie. If you just want to hear kind of a good score, uh, check out check out the original soundtrack on online. I think it's streaming uh, Apple Music and Spotify. Nice. Yeah, I um, The Fountain's kind of you know, middle of the road for like, I think there's a lot of people that don't like it. I'm fine with it, but yeah, I I do remember the score specifically being a high point in the movie. Yeah. A big uh, reason I like it. uh, Emerson quartet is a really famous quartet, you know, two violins, viola and a cello. They, they travel. They're, they're kind of like rock stars in the classical music world, uh, modern day, which is kind of weird to say, but Mm -hmm. They're very famous, um, and they were used. You don't have to tell us about it. Yeah, yeah they were. We, yeah. we know I mean, about it. Yeah, maybe for the listeners, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so they they were used for uh, uh, I, a lot of the soundtrack, and uh, um, yeah, as parts of it sound like you could almost be listening to kind of an experimental instrumental rock band, and then you know with some strings layered in there, and uh, it's 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 really cool. Um, I, I yeah the soundtrack I I think is lends itself to a little a little bit higher score than the than the movie itself so yeah I, I would agree with that um, all right have not seen have not seen um it's it's worth watching I don't think that it's like but it's it's hard when you come off of like. Um, Pi and especially uh, Requiem for a Dream movie, yeah, Requiem. Like coming off of that to the Fountain is just kind of like it's almost like gives you whiplash. It's just such a such a switch, um, such a departure. But it's I don't know. It, it's kind of like I I think most of Aronofsky's movies at this point are either going to be. It depends on when you started watching his movies. You're either going to judge all of his movies against Requiem or Black Swan. Yeah. So. And it's. Yeah. So, yeah. so Clint Mansell did the soundtrack for Requiem also. Okay. So um, a lot of that kind of like memorable themes you'll you'll see in the Fountain soundtrack too, I think. Nice, nice. All right. Uh, my number three is uh, a movie that I've championed a lot on this. Maybe I haven't a lot, but I feel like anytime it comes up, 
I'm, I'm ready to champion it. A movie from uh, 2011 <laughs> called You're Next. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the, the score was composed by, uh, they went under the pen name Jasper Justice Lee, but it's really just four guys who worked on the movie. Um, and I feel like they nail the 80s aesthetic so well. Like this movie is just really going for a specific time and place in filmmaking. Like it takes place in the modern modern day but you know it's washed out and um, yeah it feels it feels like uh friday 13th yeah it's so clearly influenced by the the slasher movies of yesteryear and um i actually have have a sample of this up right now because i feel like it is um so this came out in 2011 and it almost feels like i'm not saying they ripped them off but it feels like Stranger Things was pretty closely lifted off of this. Oh, yeah. 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 It feels like a chase scene wow. in Terminator, like the original yeah. Terminator. Yeah. 80s. Yeah, I'm telling you guys, it, it nails that aesthetic so well. And it's... um. So I actually I have a copy of the soundtrack and I listen to it every now and then, and it's one of those things where I I f- I feel and maybe it's just like it, an overestimation of of uh, what I'm actually capable of, but I feel like I'm pretty desensitized to horror movies and and cinematic violence at this point. But there's <laughs> there's times where I'm listening to like I really love the soundtrack, but there's a couple of of tracks on there that are just like they make me uncomfortable like i don't like that i have them in my headphones and i can't hear the surroundings around me like they just they they do such a good job of of um portraying that that dread and that 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 fear without even having to have the accompanying visuals so um i i couldn't find anything else that they had been involved in um but i i love your next and i a, a huge part of that I think I owe to the score of this movie. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. And then, and like I said, it nails that aesthetic, like, um, like stranger things as much as I love stranger things, that theme kind of feels like it's going back to the well. Um, and of course, you know, uh, your next is going for a very specific aesthetic. So it's not like they invented it, but they, they did such a good job with it that it, that it kind of stands out. Good deal. Good deal. I like it. <clears throat> so for my nineties pick. Nice. Yeah. Um, Singles. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously wasn't <laughs> going to go for uh, uh, Jurassic park, mm-hmm. which I knew, I knew you were. Yeah. Uh, this is the only one where I actually cheated a little bit because, but I think this is actually one of those uh, in, in the the ninety eighties and nineties, they actually had like movie like you could buy albums that were based on the movie, right? right? Like and songs that were actually made for the movie. And this and this Black. actually works out well for this movie because I've talked to you about this before, Andrew, um, about this movie because it's not a good movie, but the album is fantastic. And imagine me, this is nineteen ninety three. I'm uh, a sophomore in high school, 
I'm into the grunge scene. I'm into the rap scene. Okay. And that's pretty much it. Okay. Is this... And, uh, we'll get... <laughs> and can you imagine... Yeah, you're going to tell me. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> can you imagine mixing these two... Putting these two things together? Because I'm a sucker for mashups. And Judgment Night in 1993 did that for me. Oh, and the yes, album yes, yes, was... Okay fantastic because like could you imagine uh house of payment and helmet together doing a song or de la soul and, and teenage fan club doing a song or run dmc and living color doing a song or biohazard and onyx slayer and ice t faith no more and booyah tribe sonic or sonic youth and cypress hill sir mix a lot mud honey dinosaur jr and della funky uh del the funky human being uh therapy <laughs> uh pearl jam and cypress hill it's 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 um, a mashup album of it like it, it hit me right in my my goodies. It honestly sounds and, like you just tried to sell me some sort of bizarre fantasy album yes, of mine. It, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, you I'm told me about, about this before and uh, I thought you were going to go with um, I thought you were getting at uh, Natural Born Killers was what I was oh, going to no, because yeah, it no, has no, the no. rap and uh, the Trent Reznor curated soundtrack but yeah yeah a little bit and that that was a decent soundtrack but that's a soundtrack that's that's stuff. Right, but right. these these songs were made for this movie this is this album like that's right. the only place you can find these songs right is on this soundtrack mm-hmm. and I wore this thing out um, at, on a tape wore it out nice uh, and like Anytime I hear like there's some good stuff on this thing. And like like I said, I'm a sucker for mashup. And this movie is pretty lousy. I mean, it's you know, you got um uh you got uh you got uh Dennis Leary is the the main bad guy. You got uh 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 what's his name? The not the Sheen, um Emilio Estevez is the hero and Cuba got a junior and Wait. you got Jeremy Piven, the coach from D two, is in this movie. Yes, he is. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm in. Oh, I, I just pulled your uh, number two, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, it's just like uh, I love this soundtrack. It's so good, mm-hmm. and like it doesn't age well. I'm sure it doesn't age well, but this hits me in my sweet spot of grunge rock and rap because I was into it. I was yeah. into both of them. Yeah. So I I remember when you told me about this and it really is like what? This is like a weird teenage fantasy of mine. And uh De La Soul doing you know a collaboration with any sort of rock group is kind of a, a head scratcher, but sure. Right. Makes it work. But um and maybe it's just because I'm I'm so into music of that era, but I don't feel like like music obviously has has evolved and and changed a lot, but it doesn't feel like oh this is just so oh this is so nineties necessarily. Like when I listened to it, I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I mean, most of these, you know, <laughs> you go from Ice T to you know Sir Mix a Lot to mm-hmm. you know uh, Cypress Hill, you know Helmet. Yeah, a lot of you know, living I mean, color. I mean, yeah, you've got a lot of like people who are very, very irrelevant today. But that doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it captured a time period perfectly. You yeah, know, they yeah. jammed up all these bands that a certain listener or certain viewer they knew that they would love it. So. Oh yeah, I could be bought. Trust me, I could be bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm for sale too. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> New De La Soul project. I'm in. <laughs> good choice. Uh, yeah. That's a really good song. Fallen. It's it's a great song. De La Soul and uh, yeah, Teenage Fan Club. Yeah. All right, uh, Jason. Your number two. Number two. Okay. It's getting down to the point where I had to make some real decisions here, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, I went ahead and put Ennio Morricone, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it doesn't get much more iconic than Spaghetti Westerns, and this is the go-to, you know, everybody knows, uh, I can't I can't do it, but it's... Uh, Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, I thought it was. I, I just it, it had it. It definitely has its place in this. Um, if you're talking about top top movie scores, um, spaghetti westerns, I, I I have a special place uh, for me in general. But this is probably in my my opinion the best one out there and the score to go along with it um says says the same thing so yeah ennio morcone plus i thought it was cool that you know a couple years ago we got to see his first score in a long time with the hateful eights well that's i was gonna actually bring it up because like one of the things that actually stuck out for me like in that movie the hateful eight is is the soundtrack like i like i think i kind of poo-pooed it at the time, I was like, oh, wow, you know, Quentin Tarantino's doing this thing where he does that old, you know, hey, we're going to get old actors, old old scores, whatever, you know, do that thing. But, like, the soundtrack in that movie is, or the, the score in that movie is really good. Yeah. yeah. I'm, Brad, I'm with you where, like, when I first heard it, I was just kind of down on it. But um, having, because I think it was one of those things where it was, it was like a foregone conclusion that that would be. Um, an award winner and right um just uh you know on that alone on on that legacy alone more than merit it felt like but when i like went back and and really thought about it like it's it's definitely one that grew on me um uh, just that that opening scene where christ on the cross that right. that whole opening scene is fucking that's that's awesome yeah i i think that um hateful eight is better movie than it gets credit for like it's definitely not um tarantino's best movie but it i I don't know i i feel like that was a movie that was i don't know i feel like people were ready to not like it and ready to not be um in in, in enthralled with it the way they have been with his other releases before yeah but i enjoyed it but either way ready ready to compare Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to compare. Um, but uh, yeah. The, uh, anyways, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Sorry about that. No. So Sergio. So Sergio Leone. Um, well, I guess for Ennio, I, I kind of wrote down and took some notes on some stati- like stats with him. But he. Okay. So he was born in 1928. He's old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he just did that. He just did the hateful eight couple years ago that's that's pretty yeah that's a that's a feat in itself um but he's done since 1946 he has composed over 500 scores for cinema and television as well as 
over 100 classical works. His filmography includes over 70 uh, award-winning films. Yeah. So this guy is paramount in in the in the movie score industry yeah. and I feel like we we just we see the from a I guess you know pop culture standpoint we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg with like what Ennio Morricone has done um and so I just thought that the good the bad and the ugly it was just like ha- has its merit and and kind of is shines on kind of his most well-known um theme uh, yeah, it lends itself to kind of a, a trophy for his accomplishments. Mm-hmm. It, it is impressive. Like his, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he has like 500 and some composer credits and 300 and some, uh, soundtrack credits. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not a name I hear a lot anymore either, but, you know, he's done some good stuff. He did the thing, John Carpenter. <laughs> well, let's not talk about him too much because he might, as we've seen, he <laughs> musicians yeah. that Andrew and I talk about while we're drinking beers tend to pass away the same day. So Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're we're already taking a huge risk just even mentioning him. So. Yeah, right. R.I.P. Enio. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. All right. Um, <laughs> so, my number two is uh, from 1989. Uh, the composer is Danny Elfman, and the movie is Batman. Uh-huh. Um, he. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, we, we kind of talked about earlier uh-huh. with... Uh, I can't believe I didn't even think about this one. That's, that's so good. good. It's all I think about every day. That's, I knew you had this one. <laughs> every morning I wake up and, and I think about the... Uh, the think of Michael the, Keaton. The scene where, yeah, he's driving into the Batcave. Um, it's just... Danny... Um, so we kind of talked about earlier the uh, when we we're talking should we play this underneath what we're talking about right now because like, yeah we actually be should great. be just playing it underneath like all of our podcasts at a certain level of gravitas to the whole scenario. Um, I mean, he he had great like scene enders in this, right? Yeah, like, absolutely, um, great bumpers, and uh, he. So we were talking about it earlier when we were talking about um, Bond uh, themes, kind of accentuating the action. Um, and no one being more guilty of that that campiness than the um, '60s Batman, but this like ushered in a whole new era, and to the point where like the um, this is like the definitive sound of Batman, like through the animated series. If you look at like the Arkham series, the scoring in that, like yeah, um, yep. everything other than than uh, Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan's. Um, and even then, they, there's some something to be said for for what they kind of borrow from from Elfman. But he just like he has this like swirling sense of wonder and mystery, and um, and and whimsy. And he he uh, he he's able to like kind of do all that stuff that we kind of talked about. Um, we kind of talked about John Williams like being you know that master of that that's that awe and that wonder. And he kind of is able to um, 
pervert that almost like kind of just make it take it a little bit darker but still have that sense of awe and sense of fantasy about it and uh it it just it accentuates the scene so incredibly well and um it just he was he, he was really, like 35 years old when he wrote that yeah he, he was that. yeah he was he's still like <laughs> by composer standards pretty young <laughs> and yeah uh, <laughs> so, that's insane yeah it's great and he um i feel like his his composition is so well matched for um for uh tim burton like he's just he kind of makes that that jump from movie to movie like um if uh i feel like peewee's big adventure if someone was to throw that on this list i you know i couldn't be mad at that like danny elfman is just so able to capture um i don't know that that whimsy that that tim burton because he has he tim burton's very whimsical but he's also very he like gothically influenced and and i feel like danny elfman is just so he has his finger on the pulse of that so yeah yep uh yeah that's a great soundtrack because yeah um we you can look back at that i I, and i love that original batman Mm -hmm. or not the original batman but you know what i consider the original batman uh the way you know i know batman and yeah the real batman yes and the this that that score is so um it's it, because everything is so dark and dreary and all that stuff, everything it just it, it, everything is heightened because of the music, and it just it just everything ever everybody's it, what ruined that actually is the the Prince influence on that like I'm like not the biggest Prince guy and like <laughs> he was all over that movie and it's just kind of like well, yeah that movie is super interesting from a lot of from like a marketing perspective and in like um. It's just an interesting movie because it it's such a precursor to obviously comic book movies are huge now, um, mm-hmm. and like people always always like the uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman and you know there's still people that hold it in high esteem mistakenly and uh, that's that's fine, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but like the um, we just we just you just lost like. 75% of your, your fan base. <laughs> we're, the comment. Uh, we're, we're pushing two hours and 45 minutes. I think we lost them a while ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll, we'll be all right. So anyways, um, so what was I saying with that? <laughs> the, um, what if I don't that know what I was saying. Off for somebody. <laughs> Man, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've been listening to this podcast for two years. I've put up with a lot of shit. Uh, that is the last straw. Yeah. Uh, I am just done. Uh, what was I saying? <laughs> I'm so wrapped up in like this uh this hate mail i hope we get that i don't think we will i no. can't remember <laughs> we haven't got one hate mail yet no no because because anyone who's like i might hate this skip yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm not even gonna try oh okay Thank, <laughs> thanks for not giving us a shot uh shoot what was i saying i'm um, superman <laughs> superman's dumb batman's great 
I feel like I'm somewhat responsible for this. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm, now yeah. I'm embroiled in the, the controversy. Now, yeah. yeah. I'm embroiled in the controversy. I can't remember. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Well, well so, so Danny Elfman did, you know, you bring up an interesting point. Okay. How you correlated this with Tim Burton, though, is you saying that about Batman made me realize that that's this the the soundtrack and, and score to Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. That's yeah. it's exactly mirrors the same thing you're talking about. Like yeah. I don't think I would have the same feeling about Edward Scissorhands had Danny Elfman done the score differently or whatever. Right, yeah. Right. I, I think he's so think good he's... at um it's kind of a balancing act for him. because um, Tim Burton's gonna you know, depending on how much the studio will let him, he's going to lean as close to full Burton as he can. And Dan yeah. Elfman kind of um, has the responsibility to rein it in as well as compliment it. And I, yeah. I think he just does such a good job with that. So, um, Oh, cool. but, uh, but the, um, I got it now. <laughs> so pr- <laughs> prior to, obviously there's a huge comic book boom now and the Superman movies were big in their time. Um, but 89 Batman is such a, like, it is a case study for for blockbuster movies. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it had the duel, it had the score by Danny Elfman, but it then it also had the accompanying Prince soundtrack, which... Yeah, um, was, yeah that in itself was a, uh, uh, made for the movie. Right, yeah. And I mean, there's there are certain things like, um, like I love Party Man, uh, just because of it. You know, I can put it on, and I immediately think of the the Joker in the uh, in the art gallery. Yeah, <laughs> let's broaden our minds, um, and uh, just like the the um, like everyone went and saw, this, from what I understand, from what I what I've learned. You know, everyone went and saw this movie. Like all walks of life, were going to see this movie, not just um, you know comic book readers or DC guys. And we're kind of seeing the same thing now. And it's kind of one of those things we take for granted. It, and it was a full blown phenomenon. And yeah. uh, and they capitalized on it to the full ex- extent with things like the the Prince original soundtrack accompanying it. So yeah, yep. Yeah. I just liked it because it had lines from the movie in it. Mm-hmm. Always good. Yeah. More more albums need to incorporate like uh, like interludes with just good movie quotes. Yep. All right. Well, right. moment that's of truth. Nice, hmm. nice juxtaposition to my number two mm-hmm. is uh, the Dark Knight. Wait, two thousand eight. I'm I'm lost. That's not your number one. No, because I started off with number six. Because I started in the sixties, seventies, eighties. Remember, I told you. Okay, I was... okay, okay, okay. No, you're good. You're good. I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna make this podcast even longer than what it is. <laughs> even more long. No, yeah, uh, good. Because I, I was worried that I, um, like, it, I think if you start this podcast, I think we did a really good job of, um, subconsciously, like, if you sync this, if you start this podcast, yeah. um when. Um, the titles are rolling for Titanic. It syncs yes. up perfectly. <laughs> we're not going to talk anything about the Titanic soundtrack. Yeah, but conspiracy that, theory. But 
Oh, well, that's my number one. So <laughs> bad Damn news, it. we are. Purple. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, my number two is Dark Knight. It, this is my two thousands pick, mm-hmm. right? My odds pick, mm-hmm. uh, Dark Knight two thousand eight, Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Um, uh, uh, like he's he's the new John Williams. He's the you know, and I spoke of him I earlier agree. with uh, with Nolan. Um, he uh, just and and I've seen interviews. I've heard interviews with him. Like he seems like kind of a down to earth guy. Like he's not like too pompous, like anything like that. Like I kind of like this dude. Yeah. Uh, but like he gets what what they're doing, and like and he has a lot of range too because it's not he does the like. Uh, we watched Dunkirk, right? And we saw right. that, right? That, like, the hero moments and in the dark moments and all that stuff. Like, it's not all just one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dark Knight has that, doesn't have that full range of that, but, like, the, um, when they're, when they're sliding down the, the, uh, the cable line. Right. Over to the building, right? That, that, is golden right and then um and then it and fast forward into the dark knight return or dark knight rises mm-hmm. um that uh the the bane theme and that yeah. it, it, like I, I i incorporate that all into this because it like he captures the characters and the scenes very well like absolutely and like it it takes a really deft hand to be able to watch an not even an edited movie, but just like Christopher Nolan brings a scene. We want this kind of feel for that. Okay. I'm going to compose this for that. Mm-hmm. And like, it takes a deft hand to get that, um, to get it. And like, and uh, everyone we've talked about tonight has, is it has the ability to do that. And like, for me, Hans Zimmer, I mean, he's the one, he's the biggest name out there right now, you know? Um, and if you know if you're making a movie, you want Hans Zimmer to score it. I'm sure, but um, yeah, it's just it's I it the Dark Knight is for me like uh, almost a perfect movie, and he just makes it that much better. Um, sorry, I agree, but I just want to clarify because i so it's this is actually the dark knight was like the last collaborative effort because batman begins of the dark knight were both done by hans zimmer and james newton howard okay um and then hans zimmer and christopher nolan did inception together and Mm -hmm. um james newton howard was no like, no longer. Yeah, like I don't think they had a falling out or anything. I I think I remember reading an interview where it was like, yeah, you know, they they developed this this chemistry while they were working on Inception together, and I don't begrudge anyone anything, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to because I was fairly certain that it was a um, that it was a collaborative effort between the two of them. I know they did Batman Begins and um, The Dark Knight together. Okay, and then, and then after that, it's been Zimmer and Nolan ever since. Yeah. Um, but you know that being said, like since we've seen Zimmer and Nolan together alone, <laughs> at that point, yeah. it it does kind of feel like it's always been the two of them. Yeah, not I, I think I think the most the coolest like you know, uh, in the Dark Knight Rises. Hit that that drum beat for the Bane yeah. theme is like 
like you know and i'm i'm not classically trained to understand anything but it like when you put that heavy beat down and it's you know it, it's effective yeah absolutely and it's going to be reflected in my number one as well like because it's just it's just porn it's just it's just soundtrack porn hmm. oh soundtrack porn okay <laughs> <laughs> not a porn soundtrack bummer no <laughs> <laughs> that would be the ultimate number one. That would be right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I I actually almost number one is uh, log jamming. <laughs> yeah. It's a theme from Taboo too. That's why they send me. I am professional. <laughs> the theme from Taboo too. Yes, the luckiest boy in the world. What is that? Adam Carolla's favorite porn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh man, um, I almost picked Inception for my list because that I feel like Hans Zimmer like almost found like what he was supposed to do in The Dark Knight Rises. Like I, it's almost like yeah, wh- whatever he's been doing has been you know working out great. The collaboration with Dark Knight and all that when he hit like inception and then dark knight rises that's when i, I was really like wow this guy is really setting himself apart cat and ball uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah it's crazy you guys do this with like multiple beers and then <laughs> hey listen we're professionals. Yeah. yeah. Don't try yeah. this at home. In your I, I'm trying it for the first time. I'm like, in the back of my head, it's like, here, yeah, you're three beers deep, but, uh, you three know, beers. also. But you, but you also have to put together cohesive thoughts and yeah. try, try yeah. to not be derailed when you're talking about <laughs> Superman. <laughs> Trust me. There's many a night, and this might be one of those that I forget the last, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It's the mark of a good uh, pod. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is it me? Am yeah, I yeah. the number yeah. one? Yeah. Okay. Top doggy dog. Uh for me, um is a haunting soundtrack. Um it's got some collaborative effort to it, uh, but mainly it is put together by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind. Uh, they were two people that were asked by Stanley Kubrick to do the score for The Shining.
Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, I have a lot of feelings about this movie um, in general. It was, like, the first movie that I ever saw as a kid. I saw it at way too early of an age. Um, and, uh, I wait, one of the first movies I saw as a kid that really stuck with me in a really negative way. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of people could probably say the same, but, I mean... The soundtrack to this, you're probably seeing a theme with me. I like kind of weird synthy sort of uh, stuff here. But man, when they're like, just think about that scene where they're they're driving through the mountains. Yeah, that opening it, scene. Yeah, it's the best. And the, the horns are just like laying it on heavy. Yeah, I mean, it is just, it's, it's kind of chilling. Um, and Wendy Carlos, uh, her you know synthesizer work on that, um, which she is not she anymore. Is that correct? Um, she wanted the Wachowski brothers now. Yeah, she underwent a sex chain operation in 1972. Yeah, which is like what is that? She's a, was that the first one? She's an early adapter. Yeah. Yeah, she's like yeah. those people that sit outside for the Apple products. So she yeah. okay, so she was in '79. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> no, it took me exactly a the same thing. Exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this same, like in '79, Carlos was one of the first public figures to disclose having undergone gender reassignment surgery. So. I guess imagine yourself in '79 and and putting yourself in the, watching The Shining and, and knowing that it just it, it kind of at the time it kind of led to the yes so it's not an eerie thing now but back then it was it was maybe a little it was a little off off the charts um, to kind of you know come out publicly with that and it, it kind of led to an overall perception with this this score. Um, but it just it, it resonates with with the movie absolutely perfectly. There's there's almost I I don't think there's a, another movie that I I can recall where the score has just like fit so perfectly uh, than than Kubrick's Shining. Yeah, I'm really hung up on the like I can't imagine that like a yeah a 78 year old sex change person like it just doesn't yeah that doesn't but um whatever yes, makes you happy the, like that's overwhelming like yes the unnerving um soundtrack to that movie is like it's just that's that whole movie was uh well we've seen all seen room 237 right so Jason, have you seen yeah you've seen room 237 me Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we, we all. Yeah, but I, it's I a document mean, based on based on the making of the film, right? No, right. I understand. Well, it's it's kind of a documentary about all the conspiracy theories surrounding the movie. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I I would I would venture and say it's a recommendation from from this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Movie about movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing wrong with those. We're mm-hmm. fans. Uh, yeah, that is... Uh, 
I don't know. Like, that's crazy. Now, now that you've got me thinking about the soundtrack, I can, or the score, rather, I can really pick it out. But, like, during the movie, I don't know. It just, it never, I can't recall a scene where it just stands out to me. And I feel like that that's, um, I mean, that's never a bad thing when you're talking about, like, um, kind of going back to, like, our original conversation is, is it being like if you do a good job no one notices if you do a bad job everyone notices um i guess it's it's kind of like a prime example of that for me is is when i think about it i can pick it out but during the movie i'm never really like focusing on it i guess so yeah i, I think to me it was kind of one of the first scores that i noticed where it was like they tried to intertwine this synth work with some air, some like weird vocals and then again the, the compilation side of it is like all the heavy horns and these weird tone changes. And mm-hmm. I mean, it early on uh, in its time for that, I think. So kind of led the way for, for more of that from that point on. But yeah, that, that, that movie in general, um, even today, just the impact it had on me as a kid, uh, even today when I watch it, I'm, I'm freaked out by it. It's just... Mm-hmm. And Jack Nicholson's one of my favorite actors of all time. Um, it's just sad, but I, I can never watch that movie and feel comfortable. And I think the soundtrack leads to a, a big portion of that. So, Absolutely. Excellent. Cool. All right. Uh, my number one, someone we've uh, mentioned pretty heavily so far, uh, but this score really kind of like... I don't know. I I guess I could say it, it kind of made me rethink what a score could be. And um, it really opened me up to the, the versatility of this person. Um, but in 2014, Hans Zimmer did the score for Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. I've heard every, you know, everything on the spectrum from praise to it to it sounds like Hans Zimmer fell asleep on his organ, but I, (laughs) (laughs) but I just feel like even those just elongated notes, like I feel like everything is just so purposeful and so, um, he does such a good job at like ramping up the tension in this. And I think it's something that he did, um, Brad, I think you and I are, uh, not necessarily on the same page with with Dun- the Dunkirk score, but I feel like um, he did such a good job of, he, he does such a good job of um, just ramping up the intensity just with, uh, with his score. And uh, I think that that's, sure. that's something that he started to really explore in interstellar. Um, and it opened me up to, to his versatility. Like, like I said, like, um, I, it just it sounded so so different and it really like for lack of a better term like he had some like very like 
interstellar sounds in this. Um, it just, uh, his use of organ, his use of kind of not really dead air, but, uh, but kind of just like letting reverberations play out and, and like, um, making use of emptiness and making use of, of these like big swelling, um, moments. And I, I don't know. I just think like, uh, I, it's a perfectly scored movie in my opinion. And uh, it's one of those where I, I can listen to the score by itself and it elicits an emotional response every time. Yeah. Yeah. That score reminds me a lot of like if you were to take, I mean, it is perfect for the space theme. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like you picked a VHS out of your school library from, you know, the 80s and that was about space. Mm-hmm. And you popped it in, and that is almost like the type of music that would be playing, um, just on a br- like huge scale, you know, some weird like organy kind of, kind of. It's it's almost like it's it was like the first like musical concept of like how 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 should we theme going to space? Well, use an organ. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we'll use an organ, and that'll be it. You've got this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it, it was just really cool how it kind of had that nostalgic effect to it. That was a really cool score. Yeah, and and I think it really elevated the movie. Like I, I, um, I really enjoyed this movie, um, in spite of some faults, some bookcase scenes, um, <laughs> and, and I think yeah, the score was a big see. part of that. Is is it? Um, like I said, it elicits an emotional response like it it's um it maybe it is just the the big organ noises but it feels like it just cuts right through you at times i saw it in imax and it did it cut mm-hmm. through me yeah. I, i'm two people now because i saw it that sounds about right <laughs> it was super loud and mm-hmm. it was just like okay like when you heard it you were like good like this is what the scene needs right and it it had a it had a real like command of dynamic to it where it's not always super loud it just it builds to this super loud crescendo event and then kind of scales it back again and it's just kind (laughs) of like you're just left with like the reverberations of yeah of like fading organ notes and then it's back organ notes (laughs) yeah Organ nodes. Nodes on your organ? Hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> no good? <laughs> All right. My last one, and I'm going to make it quick, but I just love it because of the theme, and that's it. It's Like I said, it's score porn. Mm-hmm. It's fun. And Gal Gadot.
we'll, we'll clean that up in post. <laughs> yeah. That's I that that theme of hers like I don't know even know what the instruments are. It sounds like a guitar, mm-hmm. but it's not. I know it's not. It's <laughs> like it's a, sounds like a guitar, I, but nice try. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I and uh Robert uh, er, er, Rupert Grayso Williams Rupert, Rupert, Robert. Um, yeah, the Wonder Woman theme song. And, yeah. like, I've listened to the whole, like, uh, soundtrack, and it's okay. But that, yeah, just that rift right there, it's just. Was that Rift Zimmer? Because I know that was another collaboration. It was uh, Junkie. I, well, XL I, I, I was looking at the, um, I, I, I thought, I thought for sure it was Zimmer. I just thought, it, I just assumed it was Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And um, based on the composer notes on IMDb, it's not. It's, um, it's that guy that I just said. Wonder Woman cast and crew. But it's from, oh. it's from uh, Batman v Superman, R- Dawn of Justice. Right. Okay. Well, yes. And they, but oh, maybe. And I know Zimmer did had, yeah, because he it was a collaboration between Zimmer and uh, Junkie XL, so I right. Well, maybe that's it then. I yeah, don't, I don't know. So, <laughs> well, then, uh, sorry, I'm 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 on the uh, Batman v Superman page in the user reviews. It's an okay movie. Don't go to the cinema with high expectations. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, then that will do that then. Fair enough. Arib Khan. Don't, don't go to the cinema. Yeah. Uh, composer <laughs> two. Yeah, it's Junkie Junkie SL and Hans Zimmer. So maybe that. I mean that. That's where I first heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I know that um, it was written for Batman v Superman. So. No. There you go. I don't know. I I, I just sorry. like that I little. To, to bring, I don't know. I I don't mean to like push my glasses up and while well, actually you but well no that's fine i i'm i'm all good with it because i had too many on my list anyway so uh, actually you could be like, when i we studied cut, abroad you actually cut this all out where you correct me and yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna cut everything up to that up yeah. to where you say cut this all out where you correct me <laughs> just leave <them>. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast. Yeah, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> so you and Jerry used to date. What was that like? <laughs> uh, all right. Where Where are the cameras? <laughs> nice. My favorite um, line from that whole episode. <laughs> that is great. I believe that's season nine. So uh, all, all you. Uh, er- Everything was good up until that point. Yeah, all you casual Seinfeld fans who like to uh, spout off. You don't like the Merv Griffin set? You can leave. Yeah. <laughs> I had a couple honorable mentions. Yes. Like, yep. uh, I'll, I'll just go real quick. Uh, Albert Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cliff Martinez for Wicker Park. Ooh. And uh, Blade Runner by... <laughs> A uh, uh, composer simply known as Vangelis. Vangelis, and I'm, yeah. I'm probably butchering that, but uh, he goes by Vangelis because his full name is <laughs> Evangelos Odysseus Papathanasius. 
CEO. Oh. That's it. Like that's that's actually it. That's perfect. So Bless you. So he's Irish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one yeah. one of our guys. All right. <laughs> one of us. <laughs> one of us. One of us. Uh, nice. Um, I actually I had uh, Cliff Martinez on my honorable mentions for Neon Demon. Oh. Um, Jaws, which I I had a feeling was coming up. Uh, the mm. Godfather. Uh, oh yeah. It follows um, by Disaster Piece and. Oh fuck uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good one. And we mentioned it earlier, uh, but Bernard Herrmann's Psycho. Yep. Yeah. Well, that was good. That's mm-hmm. fuck. You made us go long, Jason. Definitive, definitive Ooh. list. Long forum. I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he goes long. <laughs> he goes long. He's like three it's... hours in. He's Wait, like, this is all right. Let's get the show started. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, guys. I thanks appreciate for joining it. us. Yeah, it's been an, it's been a privilege. Yes, I. I was, yeah, very happy to have you on. Absolutely. It's a good time. So, do you have any good words to send us out on? Like, any good quote you have? What's your favorite quote from movies? Like, oh, uh, man. Uh, (laughs) My favorite quote from a movie? Uh, I mean, I always go back to the classics. But uh, I, I got a reference. Dirty Harry. Um, I, I just love, and this is so cliche, but I, I can't, I, I just always love how uh, Clint Eastwood's character says, well, do you feel lucky, punk? And then he stops for a second and says, well, do you? Call how it is. Hit it. I promise you, swear, swear. Hit it. Yo.